it's time to turn up the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve into the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you're tired of filming web slingers and want to get back into horror movies? Why, you get Drag Me to Hell! Everybody and welcome to well, that was a little more dramatic than I expected to be where I cut it off. Um, welcome to a new episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And after four in a row, okay, guess what? You guys get five. Uh, this happens every freaking uh, October just because I like to do four for the month because it's Halloween and you might as well. I mean, isn't that supposed to be like the horror person's mecca is around that time of the year? I mean, that's when we're supposed to be celebrating all of our ghoulish goblins and our uh, slashers and everything else. But um, it definitely is a, a fun time of the year, at least. You get everybody all dressing up, too, so it's always lots of fun. But nonetheless, uh, you know, like I said last episode, I decided that I wanted to really end everything on... Uh, well, not... I wouldn't say. I guess it's kind of a high note, but I wanted to finish up the Sam Raimi movies I wanted to talk about. There is still one more, but I don't know if it's the right time or if we need to bring back another theme to be able to do it. Uh, originally, I did want to do that one during the whole superhero month, but the other ones I chose kind of a lot, to me, felt a lot better. But it might be time at some point to go back into the well of Sam Raimi and talk about Darkman. But today, since this is, uh, you know, Terrible Terrorist Going to Hell Month, uh, might as well start off with Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, right? Why not? And this is one of those movies where... Now, I'm going to admit something uh, that <laughs> maybe a lot of people that know me kind of know and maybe that don't know me, you know... Might. I don't know if you'll be shocked at the whole thing, but I was not a fan of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Um, and the third one, I get it. Everybody shits on it. And you've got a great fucking performance uh, by Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman, and it's ruined by fucking Venom in that movie. And a lot of other shit, too. Yes, I know. I know that scene. Yeah, that scene where the pumpkin explodes against James Franco's face just looks fucking terrible. I mean, that's a reason enough to fucking hate the rest of the movie, right? You know, I mean, emo Spider-Man wasn't that bad, was he? Was he? I don't know. But nonetheless, I could not stand Tobey Maguire. Still really can't stand him as Spider-Man. He's a decent Peter Parker, but he's a terrible fucking Spider-Man. And there was just something about it that was a little too 
cheesy for me. Like, there's one whole scene that happens, and, and a lot of this is kind of put in there because this happened after 9-11 and yada, yada, yada. But we're like, he wraps around the American flag. It was always just like, oh, God. I mean, Willem Dafoe is great outside of the Power Ranger Green Goblin suit. But overall, I just, I was like, ugh. It's not very good. And I remember going to the second one. And the second one, I'm going to admit, is not that bad. It's not necessarily my favorite out of the Spider-Mans, but they never really have been. And I really liked Sam Raimi as a director. And those ones kind of just made it so it was like, okay, I get it. Uh, You know, this is one of those things where, you know, we have to just kind of put up with this. And maybe he'll, you know, get something else that's relatively fun again like in that realm of horror because i think this is where he truly shines uh, but you know you had to sit through all the spider-mans to be able to get this last one and from what at least the rumor is i'm not sure if it's totally true and i remember reading it somewhere but i don't know the only reason he got to make this movie was because he agreed to do spider-man 3 uh, and then after that, they were possibly going to do a fourth one that he was going to direct, but it really felt like he was just kind of tired of doing that shit. You know, he, he did... The thing is, is that at the time, there was no real Spider-Man movies readily available, unless you got that weird Japanese thing, uh, and I think there's like an Indian or Chinese Spider-Man that's pretty damn terrible, but there wasn't really anything out there. So when he created these films, they were close enough to the actual source material, not super close, but close enough to that everybody kind of flocked to them. And you know what? There is a lot to like about the second one. It's just the whole, I don't know why, and this is not a rant on just superheroes in general, but, you know, and I guess it kind of works for Iron Man, but at that time I was kind of like, well, superheroes don't really reveal themselves too much to the, you know, normal everyday crowd. And then up in Spider-Man 2, we have that subway scene, which the lead up is great. And even the whole like holding back the train and everything was like pretty cool. But then everybody's just like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and keep our mouth shut with about this whole thing. No, fuck no. I'm going to go to J. Jonah Jameson over there. I'm going to make sure that he gets my pictures of who really Spider-Man is and blast it all over the place. I'm going to get fucking paid is what I'm going to do. But you know what? I get it. Everybody's like happy about them. But again, this is not to rant about the Spider-Man movies. Maybe at another time we'll go into it. I don't know. That would be very odd. But um, it's just that I remember, like I said, watching those movies and just thinking, man, he went from Evil Dead to this. And while some of this is kind of cool, and this is, it's kind of upsets me a little bit just because he's known more as that. Like even when they do this stuff, like, they put out there, oh, from the director of Spider-Man or the producer of Spider-Man and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, he's done so much more that's really fucking cool. When I heard that this was coming out and he was actually able to go back into horror, I was like, I don't know. And then I saw the trailers for it and I was like, man, it really feels like those Spider-Man movies. And it's rated PG-13. There's just no way that I'm really going to want to go and see this movie. So what? I skipped it in the theaters. Totally did. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe six years ago, maybe that's about right, that I decided it was one of those days, again, when you're home, you're sick, you have nothing else to fucking do around the house, and what are you going to do? You're just going to lay on the couch and maybe put on a movie, maybe watch a series you haven't seen in a while, 
throw on some old Simpsons episodes, maybe watch Futurama again, who knows. And Drag Me to Hell was available on one of the, um, the either it was a streaming platform or it was like an on-demand movie, like on HBO or something like that, that I could watch. And I was like, you know what, I did want to see this, might as well just give it a shot. Let's just go ahead and watch it. And then I watched it. And I was very, very surprised by the movie. I don't want to give away too much right now, but it was something that it caught me really off guard and how much this movie feels like the Evil Dead movies and truly feels like where he belongs in this realm of horror. Now, it took me forever to figure out that he was also the guy that brought us Darkman, which is the movie I was kind of referencing earlier. And I see a lot of that in these. And actually, I see more... Darkman actually in the Spider-Man movies than I do in this movie, where this movie, I definitely see the Evil Dead connection, uh, especially with what he likes to do. But it, there, there's something about Sam Raimi and just absolutely torturing his protagonists or his main characters of the film for all the way from Evil Dead all the way to, you know, now, or at least drag me to hell. I, I don't think that he's really done any, like, anything of note like that he hasn't produced i don't i haven't seen him direct a film in a long time but from the to this movie like he likes to beat the living shit out of his protagonists in the movie he likes to throw them around he likes to have random shit happen to them he likes especially in the horror movies gross shit to happen to him and this just amplifies it like by 20 it's really ridiculous, and everything else you've seen has been a main male lead character that this has happened to, and yet, for some, like, a little bit of this, I feel like she kind of gets it worse than all of them. Well, maybe not Ash. I think Ash gets it the absolute worst. The other thing that we've got going on here is the PG-13 rating, and... I really wish that this movie had gotten an R, and then I kind of got my wish with the unrated version. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And I have a little thing. We'll be talking about some changes and differences. I'll bring it up at the end because I want to go through the whole thing uh, rather than kind of giving it now. Because they're not very big. Actually, the unrated version runs shorter than the theatrical version, which is really weird. They end the same. There isn't any special endings or anything like that. It's really a couple of scenes are changed a little bit. In some cases to make it a little darker. In some cases to be a little more violent. Or you see in one case where the CG is changed in color. So that it's not so graphic, I guess. And that's the reason why it. this is the unrated. So it's not like... There's a lot of change in here, but there's kind of enough to make this a little more enjoyable um, in that realm. If you're looking at it from a pure like horror or like gorehound type of standpoint. Now, it's not a gorehound type of movie. Don't get me wrong here. But if you're expecting like Evil Dead levels of gore, the unrated cut is a little bit more closer to that. But it's not like so close that it is that, you know, and that's kind of what I was hoping for. I think when I first started watching it and as things progressed, I was kind of like, oh, I hope that it's kind of more like Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2. Uh, but then it kind of falls like a little bit more than Army of Darkness. That's kind of where you land in that type of universe of like Raimi gore, I guess we're going to call it. Um, so everything here is going to be the unrated version, but really it doesn't change the dialogue. So 
you're not missing anything different if you've only seen the theatrical version. And in fact, in that, you get a little more time with the movie than you do with the underrated version. The film itself was made for about $30 million, and it actually made $90 million in the box office, which means the movie itself was a pretty big success. Um, and it's something that I really wish I had seen in the theater, like thinking about it and thinking about certain sections of the movie. I think they would have been a lot more tense or maybe scary if they were actually on the big screen. But, you know what, it's still a good movie, I think, if you're just going to sit home and you just want to watch something to just enjoy in the company of your own home with, you know, your your pets or your wife or whomever happens to be sitting there with you, you know, enjoying the movie alongside of you. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right in to Drag Me to Hell. So, the movie opens in, basically, in Pasadena, California, and... It looks like it's a lot more run down than it should. And this is back in the 60s, I believe. I believe the year was 1969, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so, basically, you see a truck. It drives up to a house. These uh, This couple pulls something out of the back, which happens to be their child, their son. And they run to the door, and they knock on the door, and they begin speaking Spanish. So, normally, I would grab this type of audio, but... Um, I don't know how many Spanish listeners I have out there, um, you know, because I'm not even one of them <laughs> that can really, I can understand some of it, but I can't, no, no speaky. Um, so that is probably terrible as well. But, uh, so they're there and basically their son is sick. She is like a spiritual healer, I guess that kind of answers the door and a spiritualist will kind of call her. And she's like, what's going on? They're like, oh, he ran to think with Gypsy. He stole something from her. And she's like, well, what is it that he stole? She's like, her necklace. Oh, the necklace. Okay, well, you know, we tried to give it back to her and she wouldn't accept it back. And all of a sudden he's seeing things. And they're like, okay, well, bring him inside. We'll see what we can do. The spiritualist, she puts him down on a table, tries to, you know, help the child. But then all of a sudden, like... The parents are thrown out of the room. She's thrown back. The child gets up. He thinks that he sees something because the door kind of like opens up. And it looks like there's like hands that are going everywhere. And so the child runs away, goes to the balcony, ultimately falls over the balcony and down on the floor. The spiritualist, she comes over. She looks down. And as she looks down, these giant like hands start ripping through the bottom of the floor. Uh, and they start grabbing onto the kid, but it's like shadows that you see. You don't really see anything. And I really like the way that this is like framed in the beginning because you know exactly what's happening. You know what's going to happen as well because the trailer kind of tells you about the whole history of the Lamia and how it searches out the person and drags them down to hell ultimately. And we get a little bit of a visual of it in the trailer. And honestly, that's one of those things that... I'm actually happy that I had never really seen the movie uh, until two years later without seeing the trailer again. Because seeing the trailer, like, right before you watch it, really does kind of mess with the movie. And it sucks. Um, it There's a couple things in this film, once you've seen it, you see how it spells things out. And it foreshadows things out pretty thickly. 
but that trailer really does foreshadow something and actually show you something that happens at the end of the movie. I don't want to say what it is. I mean, if you're just listening to this because you just want to hear about the movie, you've never seen it, and you're just interested, but you don't know if you want to see it, um, don't go see the trailer, and I won't ruin that for you here. We're still going to spoil it, but (laughs) I won't ruin it for you at the beginning of the podcast. But I will say this, though. If you are interested in seeing this movie... And I know this is, you know, about 15 minutes into the podcast too late, but watch the movie first, then come back to this, because I think that there's a lot of stuff that is worth your viewing that you should see. If you have, if you want to, you're on the fence about seeing it, then, you know, like always, just listen. I mean, if you really want to listen to the podcast, just listen to the podcast. That's all I'm trying to say. Anyway, so you, what I do really like about this is that you don't actually see whatever it is is happening to him, right? It's being shown on a giant shadow. You see him being dragged. You know that he's being dragged to hell, right? But how it's being done, what it actually looks like. I mean, like I said before, you see the floor kind of break apart. You see some of the hands come out and then it switches just to her perspective. Well, Looking at her, like from the child's perspective, I guess would be the better way to say it. Looking up at her and her actually experiencing what's going on with the child below. It's pretty fucking brutal, especially like that you don't see anything and you're just looking at her and she's realizing what exactly is going on. This is the first time that she's ever experienced something like this. Let's see, maybe she's just like a sham fucking psychic, like she's fucking Whoopi Goldberg or something up there, and, you know, she didn't believe in ghosts while she was telling everybody the whole time, but then all of a sudden fucking Patrick Swayze shows up, and she's like, fuck this, ghosts are fucking real? I don't want any of this bullshit. And maybe that's what this lady's going through at the same time. She's looking down, she's like, all right, I'm gonna do my, like, mambo-jumbo juju on top of him, and then when she starts, and all of a sudden the demon shows up, and she's like, oh, shit they're real i wasn't totally fucking prepared for this oh my god where's my like little crucifix or whatever the fuck i'm gonna do uh you know but then when the child is taken she yells at the demon and she basically says we'll meet again one day and i'll have like basically like i'll have my vengeance against you uh, or i'll be victorious or some fucking bullshit like that so She's already like, I guess there's nothing you can do once a person starts getting dragged to hell after all. What are you going to do? Jump down there and try to pull them out? Hey kid, you're being pulled into a fiery fucking universe where there's demons and monsters and they're going to torture you forever. Yeah, I could try to pull you out, but I kind of like being on earth. And since I'm helping people, uh, I'll probably go to heaven and so fuck you child. I'm not going to do anything about it. So... He's dragged down. She cries her vengeance. And then we come to, like, (laughs) present day in the movie. And we get introduced into Chris or Christine or Kristen or however the hell you want to say her name. But she's just fucking Chris. Repeat the following phrases precisely as spoken. There is no friction with the proper diction. There is no friction with the proper diction. Good sounds abound when the mouth is round. Good sounds abound when the mouth is round. 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 So what I really like about this little intro to her is the fact that she is doing like a self-help thing. Like she's going through the motions, trying to improve her diction, um, 
And it seems like it's kind of like a know-nothing scene, but it actually tells you a lot about the character. It tells you that she's been improving herself, that there's something more that she wants. Like, you have to think about, you know, her spending her time in traffic and she's going to her bank job. Like, why would you be listening to something like that other than self-help and to make yourself be a better person? Does it also show that she's kind-hearted and caring? No. Does it show you that maybe she's got a little bit of self-doubt in her? I would say yes. Uh, Especially as you get to know the character and where she's been. And the fact that she used to be a little fat kid. You know, and that now she's like, oh, I'm the cute girl. But when you see the picture of her later on when she's going through her, like, garage of stuff... Like, she was still, like, a cute fat girl. I mean, she was just, like, pudgy. She just had on the little baby weight still at, like, 13 or something like that. Everybody's kind of like that. Some people just never fucking shed the cute fat, right? Yeah, that's what I've got. Cute fat. Um, so, you you see her, and it it's really like a throwaway, no-nothing scene, and you probably ask yourself, why the hell did you even play that little thing? But really it is because I believe that it's very important to you understanding her. It's very important to get introduced to her this way. There's a reason why we're not just seeing her walk into the bank and that's the first thing. And and everything that's going to happen with, you know, Stu being a dick and everything in the next scene that we'll go through. But it's that she's here. She cares about herself enough to be better. Like she always is reaching for that star and... And what is going to be out there. And even if it's just a little improvement. It's still an improvement upon herself. Because she doesn't really want to end up like other characters. Or other people are in this film. You know she's relatively good natured. And at the same time. She just wants to make sure that everybody sees that she's worked hard to do this stuff. And what better way than to practice on everything that you feel is wrong with you. Very, very insecure as well, if that is specifically like how she believes and how she sees herself. I could be totally wrong, but looking at it, it's kind of an interesting way to introduce somebody, especially since this person is going to be tortured for the rest of the fucking movie for choices that she makes herself. So from here, she does walk into her bank job, and that's where I'm introduced to her boss, and as well as Stu the fucking dick. Mr. Jacks? I was wondering if you'd made any decision regarding the assistant manager's position. Oh, well, I'm still deciding. And right now it's between Stu and yourself. Stu Rubin, the new guy? Well, I know he's new, but he's also quite aggressive. And we like that. You know, Stu's someone who's not afraid to crunch the numbers and make the tough decisions. I'm perfectly capable of making the tough decisions. I'll let you know as soon as I decide, okay? In the meantime, take him through our loan qualifying procedures just in case, all right? Oh, and uh, would you mind taking your lunch break now? Sure. And maybe on your way back, you could pick me up a turkey club? Turkey club, excellent choice. You mind picking one up for me? Thanks. And spicy mustard. Okay, Stu, you're a fucking asshole. That's all I can say about you. Like, you can tell that he's, like, a really big fucking shark. Here he is, you know, the boss is a fucking dick, too. Like, everybody in her fucking life, except for her boyfriend, who we'll meet in just a second, is a fucking dick. 
Like, here's her boss telling her she basically just got into work. Or maybe, you know, it's much later in the afternoon. I don't fucking know. But at least right now, we saw her walk in. Then she sees her manager. And her manager's like, hey, you want to go get fucking lunch? And while you're at it, go get me some fucking lunch, too. What the fuck, man? Like, and she lets these people just fucking walk all over her. She doesn't really stand up for herself, but you can see how she makes herself fucking useful, especially with the way that the movie progresses and how her character is interacting with everybody. And we see a little bit in the beginning, right, with that little car scene, how she's bettering herself. And then we see a little bit in the next scene. But then you also got Stu here who just fucking gets on the back of everything and is just like, oh yeah, give me a sandwich too and make sure there's spicy mustard on there uh, because fuck you, I'm gonna go fucking hobnob with the boss over here who he goes and gives him fucking like Laker tickets. First of all, fuck the Lakers and fuck getting the tickets for the Lakers. Second of all, really, you're gonna hobnob and like totally try to brush up the guy's ass that way by look here, I got you courtside seats or really good seats to the Laker game. It, it's just terrible. I get it. This is 2009. This is when they were doing well. But whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, it's still like... Here is this guy. And she's working so much on doing things better. And he's just being a dick. And he's being recognized as somebody that's moving up the ladder. Probably because... At least by what Raimi is showing us in this... Both the way that he's shooting it and the way that he's telling the story is because he's a fucking kiss-ass and he's basically putting down everybody around him. Like, it's just ridiculous. And that she fucking takes it as the same thing. So we know that she's very passive-aggressive with things because the look on her face and the way that she's kind of like reacting to everything, it's like, you know, she can't really say no in front of the boss and she wants to be that team player and show that, hey... Yes, I can't get the management position because I'll go get you a fucking sandwich and I'll go get this motherfucker a sandwich too. You know, that's the way that she's kind of playing the long game that if I'm in here and I show my worth, then I will get that job. Meanwhile, Stu is a fucking shark and just trying to eat up everything and that's the way that he believes he's going to get that fucking job. So from here, we do cut over and we see that she has taken her lunch break And this is where we get to meet her boyfriend, played by the one and only Justin Long. Well, Professor, congratulations on making it through your first week. Thank you very much. Mm. Thought you'd have a full beard by now. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a little disappointed. Oh, man, this thing. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. Christine, bother. I gotta get a new one. I'm telling you, you're gonna drive yourself nuts. It's completely... Broken. Was broken. You are cocky and sexy (laughs) and unbelievable. I almost forgot. Found it at the bank. What is this? No way. Wow, it's a 1929 Standing Liberty and it's almost fully struck. You found this in regular circulation at the bank? I did. I'm going to add this to my nerdy coin collection. Thank you, baby. Thanks for thinking of me. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. See you later. I'll see you later. Okay? Dr. Dalton. Hello, dear. Oh, hi, Mom. What are you doing? 
Um, Christine just came over, brought some lunch, and I'm cracking some papers. Oh, the one from the farm? Yeah, Mom, the girl I've been dating for almost a year. The girl who's coming for dinner. We're still out for dinner. She's a very sweet girl. She is. I can't but wait for you. But you know, your father and I just I can't, have certain expectations for you. I can't really do I the expectations. I understand Amy Kulik is looking for someone to play tennis with. Yeah. You yeah. know, she graduated from Yale Law with honors. And she's a very successful attorney now. I know, you told me. Yeah, that's the kind of girl I would love to see you with. Mother, She's the kind of woman who could really help you socially and as a result in your career. And that's the kind of thing you should be thinking about now. Mother, I, I, I don't want to... You can't be playing around with little girls on the farm. It's time to really find a partner. Okay, so what the fuck is up with the Days of Our Lives music that's going on in the background of this scene? It seriously is... When the hourglass, or sands in the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. I'm waiting for do, 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 do. How are the fuck? I can't remember exactly how the fucking theme song went. But it definitely is that, like, slow piano thing. And then the other thing, like, really, he's not really trying very hard to fix that fucking printer. Like, he literally looks at it. Oh, it's just fucking busted. There's nothing out. And all she does is reach in there with a pair of tweezers, which I don't even know where the fuck she got them from. Because at one moment, like, her hand's out, her hand goes into the printer, and then she picks up with tweezers, wherever the fuck they come from, and gets the paperclip out. Like, it's not even stuck. It's literally just, she pulls it out. It's not she didn't have to work anything. She didn't have to go all Rihanna on this shit and work, 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 work and pull the shit out. She literally takes the tweezers like it's a game of operation and she's not touching the sides. She just grabs the fucking little paper clip and pulls it out. That's it. Clay, come on, my man. My man, you could have fixed that fucking easily like super fucking easily all you had to do was look like you're not even looking and he's looking like he's been at this thing for hours and even says man i've tried everything have you tried tweezers you haven't tried everything if you haven't tried fucking tweezers to go in there come on i know it says pc load letter but fuck that doesn't really mean anything it just means there's a fucking jam in it just go and grab the fucking paper and pull the fucking paper out and be done with that shit like it's just a fucking paperclip. That's it, okay? Clippy, he decided that he didn't want to be in this world anymore. He came out of the fucking computer. He went into the printer, tried to get trapped in the gears, only to be saved by fucking Chris over here. So, Clay, do yourself a favor and stop being such an idiot and just fucking spend some time and actually get this shit done, okay? You should be glad that Chris is there to fucking help you. So she goes to leave, then magically at that exact moment, he gets a call from his mom, and his mom's a fucking dick too. She's just like, oh, she doesn't fit our fucking community standards. Like, what the fuck is your problem? Like, the guy has been dating this girl for over a year, and I understand that there are some people that are like, there's no way in hell I want my baby to end up with this person, I don't want them to be with that, I don't want them to be with some low-life fucking podcaster, but guess what, that's what you fucking got. And it's just one of those things where, you know, just deal with it. A year. A year isn't, like, nothing, you know? It's just one of those, like, parents where the mom is like, nobody is ever good enough for my little baby, so we're just going to have to fucking deal with it, and you're just going to have to do what I say, and then everything will be better. But, you know what? It's obvious that Clay really is into Chris, and honestly... They are a good couple together. They they are depicted actually very well. Because 
even though there are moments in this film where he really doesn't believe what's going on or he doesn't really understand he really does care for her and he continues with it and deals with the stuff that she's going through and she's obviously there for him to like do whatever she wants for him like she still is proving that she's useful and she still gets that like like the look on her face it's like a little bit of a cocky attitude but like okay you know what i did this you didn't really have to when she hears like it kind of breaks your heart when she overhears the conversation that they're having because if you're in your own office you're going to put everything on speakerphone i totally get that you know i i'm not going to be like who the fuck puts all their stuff on speakerphone when they're talking to, no i i fucking do it all the fucking time cuz it's just i don't want to have the phone to my face like 24 fucking 7 when i can just talk to you especially from the privacy of my own fucking office but he leaves the door fucking open you at least close the door so people can't you know hear that somebody else on the other line is talking shit about you or anything like that especially when she starts talking crap like she's barely fucking left his office and he wouldn't do something like go up and like close the door or something like that when his mom calls especially since it's a private fucking phone call like just fucking do it so you know we we have this situation where you just see her fucking break down because she overhears the fact that she's still trying to set him up with somebody else that isn't her but again it's really obvious that the two are really head over heels for each other so we go back over to the bank we see Stu and the boss now getting their lunches from poor chris over here and the Stu complains that oh well it's not the way that i asked for it you know um it was supposed to not have mayo, but all he did was ask for fucking spicy mustard. That's the only thing that he asked for. He didn't ask for no fucking mayo. Fuck you, Stu. You need to go get your own fucking sandwich next time. Chris, stop being a fucking little, you know, passive-aggressive bitch and just go and do your own shit and say fuck you to both of them. You don't need to get everything for your fucking boss. If you fucking offer, you fucking offer. Don't have somebody else make you go do that shit. So... You know, he complains, and she's like, okay, whatever, and she leaves, and then he makes a thing like, look at this, look look at this useless fucking woman that can't fucking do something when I don't ask her, you know, not to do something, and it gets done. (laughs) What what the hell is up with her? I mean, come on, right? (laughs) You should really give me that assistant manager position, because I'm so much fucking better than her. No, you're not, you stupid fucking motherfucking prick. Like, that's all you are. Okay, so from here, we see her, she's sitting at her desk, and then all of a sudden, something interrupts her train of thought, and it's this weird sound of fingers tapping against the table. Will you help me? Of course. What can I do for you? The trucks are at my house. The men are packing all my things. Private things. Please, make them stop. (coughs) Mrs. Ganosh. Mrs. Ganosh, the bank is informing you of their intent to repossess your property at 325 Brandon Street today. But this is my home for 30 years. And I make every payment until the sickness took my eye. I hope to have more money soon. I just need a little more time. I don't uh, think my manager is going to extend you any more credit. Oh, please. 
Won't you try? Okay. Bless you. Bless you. Okay, Mrs. Ganush over here is a disgusting fucking lady. Sam Raimi also has this, like, obsession with things being really fucking disgusting when it's meant to be something kind of evil. You see it in the Evil Dead movies, and you definitely see it here with Mrs. Ganoush over here. She is taking out her teeth and putting it on the fucking table. She's coughing up mucus all over the place, and it looks extra fucking yellow, which means it's extra fucking infected. You need to get your ass to a doctor. She's got the two miscolored eyes. Uh, the one that's supposed to be dead, basically. It's like white with blue in the center of it. Uh, and then, you know, just the way that like her nails are, they're completely dirty and brown like she's been smoking for the last, you know, 70 fucking years. Like, she came out of the, the fucking vagina fucking smoking a cigarette and it, it was just hanging on there in her hands for a couple of weeks. You know, no, I'm fucking addicted to this nicotine. I can't stop. I had it started in the womb and now I'm out here now. So you're never going to get this off fucking me. Fuck you. Uh... It's just her teeth are almost like jagged and just nasty. And how does that happen with fucking dentures? I don't have fucking dentures. You know, maybe at some day I'm going to have to have fucking dentures. I don't fucking know. It could happen to anybody, right? But they're so like, like, did she purposely take them out and file them fucking down? Like, they are just stained and fucking, like, breaking apart. How do you have that type of teeth if they're fucking dentures? It makes no fucking sense. Unless, of course, you, like, instead of putting them in that, you know, fix-it-in or where the fuck shit that you put them in the glass at night, you're just putting them in fucking Coca-Cola because you like the taste when it gets into your mouth better than whatever the minty fresh taste that you're going to get out of the other denture shit. So... Oh, you know, of course, they're probably not taking very good care of them either. We'll probably do this to them, but fuck, I don't know. It looks like she really has been just chewing on rocks for the last, I don't know, 15 fucking years with the same fucking dentures. And that she decided to go to the Lockjaw School of Dentures and file them fucking down. So that way she can make sure she bites on people and rips off their flesh or something like that. Because if those dentures are going to be left on somebody's arm, they should at least do some fucking damage, right? Am I right? So... You know, Chris goes back into her boss, Mr. Jack's office, and basically explains the whole situation to him. And he says, well, you know what, we've already given her two extensions before, and, you know, I just don't know if this is the right thing to do. You know what, I'm going to make this your decision. And that's where she kind of starts, like, reeling back on things. And she thinks about what, you know, he said about Stu before, where Stu was like, he's more in line for it because he takes risks and he's more aggressive and so of course she lets that bullshit get to her fucking head because she wants to be better than Stu because she's been longer and he's just a new fucking guy so she goes back over to Lady Ganush over here and basically tells her to go fucking kick rocks Mrs. Ganush I'm sorry Mrs. Ganush but another extension on the loan is out of the question what? I would like to help, but it is in the bank's... No, please. This is my home. Where will I live? You list your granddaughter as a reference. Maybe you could stay with her. I would not burden her. And there are several fine assisted living facilities for A me. nursing home? No, I would never live in one of those places. I'm really sorry.
I am proud woman, Miss Brown, and never have I begged for anything. But now, I beg for you. I humble myself before you. I, Sylvia Ganesh, beg on my mother's grave. I beg you. Please let go. Let go! Security! Stop! Business is finished here, ma'am. Let's go. So first off, I don't know if she really shames her. She shames her in a way because she did go down there to beg, you know, and she got on her hands and knees, and then she started, like, pulling on her dress. You can't really fucking do that, so I don't totally blame Chris in this situation at all. Like, I definitely blame these this old lady a little bit because I get it. Medical bills, we all know that shit. We have something. It can fucking ruin us in this fucking country. And you you just can't make your fucking mortgage payment, right? And you've had this house for 30 years. Honestly, that mortgage can't be that much. And there should be a way, especially if you have kids, for your kids to fucking help you. Now, we know a little bit more later what's kind of going on in the house. Well, they are gypsies, so there's bound to be more than just her in the fucking house, right? And I'm sorry if that's leaning on stereotype, but I'm pretty sure that this is true. Uh, and then it's like, you know, just if you were able to just make a payment in any way, and then she says there's bound to be somebody that can help you, or, oh, you know, I'm not going to bring that shame upon them or whatever. You're just too fucking proud, like... That's what it is. If my folks came and told me, hey, you know what? And I had the money, let's just say. Not everybody has the money to do this or whatever it is. And they're like, look, can you give me a couple hundred dollars so that I can last for another week? I need to pay something towards this mortgage. You know, I've worked at a deal. Uh, you know, it's only $400, but I'm going to pay two now. And then when I get my little social security, I'll pay two more. They're like, okay, I'll just give you the four. Just fucking pay it. Just fucking do it. Like, as long as I have the financial funds to be able to do that for my folks, I'll do that. I'll do that for, you know, mine, for my wives, you know, for siblings, all that type of stuff. If they desperately need it, right? But she's too fucking proud to be like, you know, I understand. You've lived in your home. I mean, it's the same way with my fucking grandfather and how, you know, he didn't want to be in the fucking hospital the entire time that he was dealing with all the shit that he was going through. And he wanted to be in his own fucking home because that's where, he, you know, he lived. That's where he lived with his wife. That's where everything was more welcome to him instead of moving into a, an assisted living facility. I totally get that. And I'd probably be stubborn as a motherfucker when I get that age too, where I do need help. Uh, I just would rather be on my own and live in my own place. I don't want to be fucking dependent upon anybody. I fucking get it. But when you're going to get kicked out of your fucking house, at that point, you go to anybody that can help you, anybody that's willing to fucking help you. So because you're a fucking deadbeat... Like, maybe not a total deadbeat, but enough to the point where you don't want to, like, reach out to anybody for help. Then you start getting upset when they finally deny you. And honestly, Chris, she didn't necessarily have to do that. I get that's what they're trying to put through. Is that, hey, you know what? 
she's doing this because she needs to prove to her boss that she can be as cutthroat as fucking stew and even says you know if we did collect on this loan we'd make a bunch on fees and taxes and she's just thinking well that's gonna make me look good for that position so you know what i'm gonna tell her no and of course she fucks up because she does it to the wrong fucking person Again, if I was in her situation and I saw this across from me, this lady, she's coughing up shit, she's got different colored eyes, her teeth are fucking filed down, her fingernails are fucking yellow as a motherfucker, and the fact that she's dressed up in weird gypsy robes, I would have told her, yes, okay, we're going to do this one time, but you owe this much money like next week or else we're coming back and we're taking the fucking house i'm gonna give you a little bit of an extension so you can pay some of it back and then after that we're gonna work out fucking things so to make sure you stay on time isn't that gonna be better than anything else that you could possibly fucking do like and it's obvious that this bitch across you is also gonna fucking curse you that's pretty obvious i mean look at the way she's fucking dressed that's curse material right there she's just gonna fucking she probably could just do it right there be like fuck you cursed and be like what yeah i know you're fucking cursed that's it bye enjoy your last three fucking days on earth bye you're fucking cursed unless you want to help me then y'all listen to the curse right now oh i don't know i don't know if my boss is gonna let me we're gonna make a lot of fees on it i don't believe in this shit so she goes away and uh they they forcibly kick her out of this place right because after she's on the ground there and she's like you know, Chris is still, like, kind-hearted and basically saying to her, hey, you know, can I help? Like, she feels bad about the situation. And then she tries to attack her where the security just pulls her out. And then we get a little scene with Mr. Jax, and he sees that she's been working on this, like, loan case where she can help this small business with a huge fucking loan. It's a great thing for the bank. It's a great thing for that business at the same time. And he's like, if you can finish this up and I can show it to the higher-ups, everything will be good and that assistant manager position will be yours. Of course, Stu hears this in the background and he gets fucking jealous as a motherfucker back there. And eventually, you know, she leaves for the night and she goes into her, like, parking garage. And the parking garage, I I believe it was there in the beginning, but I always seem to forget it because later on she parks outside, which she should have just fucking done in the first place. So she goes in the parking garage, and the scene here is really well set up. The whole thing of her walking around, she sees the lady's car in the distance, you know, the way the lighting is done, how there's almost no sound. It is really creepy, and what I have to give credit to Sam Raimi for is that even though he has this rating of a PG-13, he does a lot with this film. I always say there's two types of PG-13s. Most of them, where they come out and they look in the trailers like they're going to be violent, that ruins them, right? They're they're just stifled by everything. It's put butts in the seats. And then you get a good PG-13 director, where you get somebody that still gives you that sense of dread. You know, maybe he interjects humor into some of his scenes. Maybe he just tries to build up the tension and maybe you do get a cheesy jump scare, but it works for most of the film. And this is something that Sam Raimi does really well in this movie. And this is one of those scenes where it really kind of gets to you because she's looking around, she sees the car there, then you just hear the cough of Mrs. Ganesh. And it's like, you know she's going to be around there somewhere, but where is she possibly going to be? And then all of a sudden she gets in the car and everything seems to be okay. And she looks out the front and then you see the like scarf like floating around outside. And you're like, huh. And it goes by and then all of a sudden the back seat, 
There's Mrs. Ganush, where she's like, you shame me. And then she starts attacking Chris. And then Chris takes the stapler and then starts, like, stapling her fucking face. Like, puts staples in her forehead, puts staples into her eye, her bad eye, staples that eye shut. And then starts, like, putting the car in gear and trying to drive away with her in the goddamn car. To the point where she, like, forces her to fly out of the car. Uh, it, it's a really well done scene and you get a lot of like tension. Is she going to get her? Is she going to choke her out? And eventually she's outside of the car and then she locks herself inside the car and she looks out and she's like, yeah. And she doesn't try to get away at this point. This is what doesn't make any sense to me. Like I get it. She's an old lady, but you know what I would do if I locked her out, I would make sure I can start that fucking car and I can get the fuck out of there. But no, what does she do? The lady reaches under the car and pulls out like a cinder block. And she probably broke it off one of those like parking ends, you know, the things that are there to prevent you going even further. And she probably just broke that motherfucker off and then throws it into the window and drags Chris out of the goddamn car. Then when she looks like she's going to come over and attack her, she just breaks off a button directly from her shirt or her jacket and then says the following curse. There are two things that I forgot to talk about in that whole scene that was really part of the whole like disgusting thing and the shit that Sam Raimi does to his protagonists in his goddamn movies. The first is at one point she does lose her teeth. Like when she comes into the front seat, right? She slams into the front seat. She loses her two dentures. And then she still goes after fucking Chris and starts gumming her all over the face. And it's terrible. Like, you hear all the noise. Like, ugh, it's absolutely disgusting that she's, like, doing that to her. And then, like, Chris grabs something and basically shoves it down her throat. Like, if that it's almost like she stabbed her. Like, she stabbed her through the throat. And that should have just fucking done it. Like, there shouldn't be any more Mrs. Ganache after this. She should just be Mrs. fucking dead. Because that's what I would be if anybody shoved anything like that down my fucking throat. She should have died fucking too. But no, she's there and that's when she gets kicked out of the car. But she now she's basically cursed her and the whole scene has gone to black. We go to the next night uh, and it seems like, well, one, everybody is there. They've managed to, you know, check her out. She seems like she's okay. And... You know, she's already kind of starting to hear some, like, little things. And so she's out with Clay, and she's trying to kind of feel a little better after this whole situation. And that's where she already begins hearing things and is guided over into a psychic shop. Once they send some officers over to have a talk with her, she's not going to be bothering you anymore, okay? So don't even think about her. And I'm going to call Mr. Jackson just to make sure you can have somebody walk you to your car every night, okay? Okay. Just thank God you're okay. You are okay, right? I'm fine. What? What's the matter? It's just that... 
Maybe I could have gotten her another extension. Chris, no, don't do that. You said the bank granted this woman two extensions already, right? I'm sorry, if you don't pay your mortgage, you lose your house. What does this woman expect? It's not your fault. You can't beat yourself up over it. I know this is going to sound weird, but I want to get my fortune read. <laughs> now? Are you kidding? Come on, Chris. I I'll read your fortune for you. Mm, in the near future, we are going to get in the car, Clint, go home, really and relax. Do this. Why? Because of what happened with that old woman? Chris, I really think we should just get you home now. Can you do this for me? So from here, they go inside and they actually see the seer. It's really well set up in the way that he does it. And he shows that, like, the lights and everything are kind of going around and kind of leader in that way. That you start hearing little voices in the background. You see the wind and the way that the leaves are rustling around. The leaves, you know, go around her and then kind of spin her in a certain direction so that she looks that way. Because... Honestly, at this point, you know, as an audience, we know she's cursed and we know what's going on, right? And because of the trailers, we know that something's going to be following her and it's going to be messing with her. And I feel like this is just the first little thing to show, like, basically to get her to notice or recognize that something is messing with her. Like, okay, I want to prove that I'm here, so go see this guy because, hey, I want to make sure that, you know... You know I exist. So he's like leading her in this direction to start imposing some of his like fear upon her. And I really like the way everything is set up. So they do go inside the Sears little uh, store there. And that's where they meet Ross, uh, Ram Joss for the very first time. And this is also one of the scenes where I really love the way that freaking Justin Long does this character. Where he's both like sarcastic yet really caring at the same time. So many things to choose from here, unfortunately not what I'm looking for, which is a weird little dried monkey head. Oh wait, no, never mind, he's gone. I'm Ram Joss. See ya. I'm Christine and this is Clay. She probably already knew that, right? Just kidding. How can I help you? I would like to have my fortune read. Can you do that? I have the ability to see certain energies. Sometimes these energies are a foretoken of things to come. Sixty dollars, please. Seriously? Yes. Sixty? Doesn't that seem a little steep for this sort of thing? If you're not serious, please, go. All right. Come on, Chris. Wait, wait. I'll, I'll pay. Oh. No, you know what? I got it. I got it. Platinum card. Very good. Uh-uh. Please. 
So, you wish to know something of your destiny? Yes. Very good. Let's see what the fates have in store. You know, Freud said destiny was not an act of fate, but rather something created by our subconscious to control our conscious choices. That's true, but we cannot attempt to understand the world by intellect alone. Oh, Carl Jung. Yes, from his treatise, Psychological Types. Young, New Ager's favorite psychologist. Because he wasn't afraid to bring God into the equation. Well, he wasn't afraid to bring God into the equation. Let's do it. I know. Come on. Let's start. Shall we? I'm ready. Please, give me your hand. Okay. You work with money. That's right. And you've recently lost something. No, um, I don't think so. No. No, you haven't lost anything. But something's been taken from you. No. A button. Anyone can see she's missing a button. So why? It was really strange. The old woman today. She took a button from my sleeve. Why would she do that? Who? Both. Please, just be quiet. You can see that Clay here, he's really not into everything that's going on. He makes a funny joke about the monkey head. It's really kind of off, you know, off the cuff type of humor there. I find it really funny, especially when you're watching it and you see him looking through. And then you meet Rom here, and he's really serious about the whole situation, but he's also very serious about getting fucking paid. And honestly, Platinum American Express cards, maybe they were a big deal back in the day, but it's not a fucking black card. Come on. It's not one with an unlimited spending limit that you can have, and if you're only a part of the super fucking rich... You know, he just has a platinum card, which if you've got pretty good credit, a couple years of American Express, you can just get one fucking easily, right? And so, you know, he goes in there and the whole, like, situation that you've got going on with her and, like, him not, he's not trying to find anything. Like, you you know a lot of psychics that are out there that are big, like, sham type people. They always do cold readings, right? They always ask a certain set of questions, you know. And there's a little bit of it with the whole, oh, you work with money, don't you? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, because she really feels like something's happening. But Clay over here is just like, well, of course you know that she works with fucking money. And then it's the next thing. And then when he starts talking about, well, you've lost something. No, you haven't lost it. It was just taken from you and was just like given back, which is the button. And that's where he starts like looking into her eyes and looking at her. And then slowly but surely the image of the fucking Lamia just pops into his vision and he freaks the fuck out at her at that moment. I think that's enough for tonight. What's wrong? I'm tired and I see it's become quite late. I will, of course, refund your money. Wait, wait, wait. Did you see something? A dark spirit has come upon you. What do you mean? (sighs) You blaspheme the dead while visiting a graveyard. No. Play with a Ouija board or consort with those who practice the black art. All right, take it easy, man. Come on. Clay, Clay, Clay. No, no, I didn't. Perhaps someone has cursed you. Then how did he know all that? You know what? That you lost the button? And by the way, he didn't really know that much. He makes a couple of good guesses, and he, he stirs you up, and then he leaves you with all these questions. And conveniently, his business card. 
Come on, Chris, he's a scam artist. But he didn't want the money. He tried to give it back, remember? Well, he sort of tried, but in the end he took it, didn't he? I do like it here too when he tells her that she's cursed he doesn't just like explain everything that's going on he just is like basically no take your money just fucking go because he knows what's really going on and he wants nothing to do with it it makes you believe that he's not that much of a scam seer in the first place because he tried to give that back and then when he finally got the money like i feel like he was worried that the money or something was something that was what was cursed, right? I'm not going to accept her money because if I accept her money, then the curse is going to pass on to me or some type of bullshit like that. But it's not hers. It's actually Clay's, right? Clay is the one that's paying for this. And $60 seems awfully steep for a psychic. I don't know about you, but around here, I've seen people as low as like 20 bucks, 25 You know, maybe it's a lot higher. Maybe inflation has really gotten that area of the country. But that's Southern California. Well... Okay, especially in the Pasadena area, uh, okay, I guess you could say that it's probably about 60 bucks, maybe maybe a little less than that. So, or he's a very high-class fucking psychic, and that makes him worth a lot more money. So, there's also that really cool, like, transition that Sam Raimi does here that I really like, where it, like, fades up, you're looking at trees, and then it kind of rolls back down, and you see them in the car, and they're talking about what just happened. It's really well done. Um, and it's just something to point out and especially to look at while you're watching the film. They go back over to Chris's place and she must be doing really well for herself because she owns a goddamn house in Los Angeles. And even at that time, that house has to be worth a ton of fucking money. Like that's the type of house that you'd be able to buy in like fucking, you know, I don't know, someplace in fucking Michigan where it's like a nice little small town and you decide to move out there because A, you're going to retire or B, you've just got the money to move out there and fucking do your business from home and live in this place. Not someplace that's in fucking LA. Like, that's ridiculous. That's like the LA Hills is where that fucking place is. So, uh, he's, you know, Clay's dropping her off and making sure that she's safe for the knife and that she's going to be okay and so he leaves. And then she has her little kitty cat with her that she's carrying around the whole place. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden she starts hearing noises once again. And then everything starts rumbling and you hear the heavy steps of feet. And you see the hands kind of reaching out in shadows over things. And then eventually she gets fucking bitch slapped across the fucking room by the Lamia. And right into things after everything is just kind of going off and crazy. And that causes Clay to come over and basically see if she's okay. And he thinks that that lady is now, you know, broken into the house and attacked her as well. Here, put that on your lip. Thank you. I can't believe she came to the house. This is so nuts. Nice. Call the cops. It wasn't her. Who was it then? I don't know. I couldn't see who it was. Of course it was her. It had to be her. No, Clay. It wasn't anyone. It was somebody. Chris, it had to be somebody. The lights were out. You just couldn't see who it was. But I'm guessing it was... there wasn't anybody here. Then who did this? Who, who, Who hit you in the face? Huh? I think it's just a reaction to her being attacked earlier in the day. Yeah, classic symptoms of post-traumatic stress, huh? Yeah, she's showing signs of uh, panic and paranoia, so... You want me to walk you out? No, 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 I'm fine. All right. Oh, hey, hey. 
How are you doing? Better. Yeah. Especially after the doctor explained it to me. He, he said that victims of violence, they re-experience the trauma. I misinterpreted it to be something more than it, than it was. Happens. I just, I feel what? kind of embarrassed. Are you kidding? No. You never have to be embarrassed with me. Okay. Listen, I was thinking maybe we could take a little trip on Saturday, get on the train and go to Santa Barbara. Your folks' cabin? Yeah, if you're up for it, the cabin. Oh, my God, I would love to. Yeah, oh, good. That'd be so exciting. Oh, baby, you're going to love it. You're going to love <laughs> okay. it. I'm excited for you to see. There's trees and it's, oh, it's private. It'll be great. It'll be good. I think we need to. And we can just, we can just talk and stuff. So he's so quick to kind of like, I get it. It probably is a little bit of PTSD, right? Because she's dealt with this lady and then all of a sudden she's left her alone. But who the hell did that to her face then? Like, oh, it's definitely PTSD. She must have punched her fucking self. Again, we got another Jim Carrey situation going on here where she's just beating the shit out of herself to get fucking attention from Clay or some bullshit like that. That's not really what happened, but is that what he's fucking thinking? But at the same time, you can tell that he's honestly, like, I I get it. A lot of people have said with Justin Long in this and Justin Long in general, he's a little of a one-note actor when it comes to certain things. I get it, but in this... I really feel that he's got this, like, connection to this character. Like, he really plays it like he really cares for her. He's a little bit awkward, you know, and he just doesn't know how to deal with himself. But there's obviously some reason why he wants to take her over his place in Santa Barbara. And it's probably something to do with the rest of her life and blah, 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 blah. But you can tell that even though he's like, I just don't know what's going on with her. Like he wants to be by her side. He wants to take care of her. And it really shows that they actually have a really great relationship. Even if things right now aren't necessarily going the way that they should. So I really like that dynamic between the two of them. And the fact that he's over there almost instantly, like the moment shit happens, how did he pop up right away? Unless, like, he was spending the night, maybe this is his place and they both live there, I don't fucking know. But, like, he was there and then all of a sudden she was getting attacked in the kitchen. That's the one thing we don't really know and I can't really put my finger on. Is this her place or is this their place? I might actually lean a little more on this being their place than being her place. Just because he's there so quick and he's able to like take care of everything that's going on in a moment's notice after all this shit has happened. Though at another time I kind of lean that it's maybe more just her place. I really don't know and part of me would like to know and part of me says why the fuck do you give a shit? I don't know. It's just the speed in which he gets to there in certain places. So he does spend the night and, you know, when they go to sleep, she wakes up in the middle of the night because she starts like, basically there's a fly that's going around the room and it lands on her and it kind of annoys her nose, but it goes inside of one nostril and comes out the other nostril and then it crawls down into her mouth and she wakes up choking because she's basically swallowed the fly. Poor old lady, I think she's going to die. 
Isn't that the way that it goes? But anyway, so she tries to lay back down, and then next to her, it's no longer Clay, but it's Mrs. Ganoush. And she jumps on top of her, and she just vomits fucking maggots all over her face. There's all these worms and maggots and everything, and they all go into her mouth and all over the place. And it's really fucking disgusting, and stays on there a little bit too long for my taste. And she gets up to throw her off, and then she's actually waking up in the morning, and she startles Clay and basically says, I couldn't wake up, I was having a bad dream, and I just couldn't wake up, I couldn't wake up. And there's obviously a really concerned look on his face as he looks over at her, because he's just like, uh, there's just something not right with her. And like, he's more like worried like this is really affecting her, not like, ugh, this bitch is fucking crazy. You know, it's more like, man, I just don't know what to do because I'm just at a loss and I don't know how to fucking help her. So she goes to work the next morning and Clay drops her off, shows her that there's a new car for her and that's the car that she can use for today from the rental people and to make sure not to piss off any old ladies today. To which she does laugh. I guess it's a joke, but at the same time, come on. If you think she has PTSD, do you think that you should be making joke about pissing off old ladies if that's all she's seeing whenever she closes her fucking eyes? I think that's the mistake of the fucking century for him. So she goes into work and all of a sudden the dickhead shows up to her desk because he wants to learn some new fucking procedures instead of just kind of letting her to relax to which she starts seeing visions and turns on him. Hey, Christine. What are you just getting here? What are you, the hall monitor? Ha ha, very funny, Christine. Oh, what's this? What do you want? Uh, I need you to finish teaching me the loan procedures. I've got a lot on my mind. Can we do this tomorrow? Sure. Okay. I'll just uh, tell Mr. Jackson you don't have the time right now. Maybe he can tell No, me. no. Okay, I'll do it. Okay. Uh, we were going over the asset-based lending guidelines. Right. Let's say your client is a company that can't get traditional bank financing. freaks out everybody in the fucking bank at this moment everybody just comes to a standstill Stu just picks up his shit and goes over and mr jacks comes over and says everything all right and she's like everything is fine i'm just i'm a little stressed out with everything that's been going on which he acknowledges that that's okay and then he asks her about the the file that she's been working on and she tells him yeah i've basically got it finished i have here i'll give it to you and then all of a sudden like, she starts dripping blood from her face, and he notices, like, you're bleeding, and she's like, oh, n- you know, no, uh, and all of a sudden, it's like a geyser of fucking blood that just shoots out all over Mr. Jack's here, and he's completely covered in her blood, her bl- shirt is completely covered in blood, everything is on the table, and then she just runs out, and because she's going to go back and go see Ram Joss uh, to see exactly what the fuck is going on. 
While she leaves in a panic, Stu comes over and takes the opportunity to take the loan from her desk uh, to see what the hell could possibly be going on with what she's putting together and probably, you know, steal a piece of that for his own type of action. Back now, she's gone over, well, she decides to first go and see somebody before she sees Rom. She wants to go over and see Mrs. Ganache and make sure that, you know, one, see if she can lift the curse, but... There's something a little bit different about her that is probably going to make that rough. Hi, I came to see Sylvia Ganesh. Is she here? Who are you? I'm a friend of hers. Someone... Wait. I know who you are. Grandma told me you would come. You are the woman from the bank, the one who took her house. Actually, it was the bank that took the house. I mean, I, I, I just worked there. In fact, I tried to help your grandma get the house back, but my boss wouldn't let me. Are you going to stand here on my porch and lie to my face? No. You used to be a real fat girl, didn't you? Yeah, I can tell. You are not welcome here. Wait. Wait. I need to see her. I need her to forgive me. And I'll get her the house back. And you're going to make everything all right for her, is that it? Yes. Come on. So what my understanding for this is this must be the daughter's house. This is not actually her house. And when I was first was going through it, I'm like, man, cause when they walk in, there's people gambling everywhere. There's a ton of, you know, everybody's partying, they're boozing around. I'm like, shit, no wonder why she was going to lose this house. And yeah, she's a goddamn gypsy and she's fucking being a shyster around everybody and had all these people living with her. But from what she says there, she says like, oh, well, I'll get her back the house. Meaning that the house has probably been taken from her if it hasn't been already. So the girl leads her through the party that's going on until we find that Mrs. Ganache is actually dead. She's there in a coffin in the center of the room and everybody is kind of celebrating her life. And I guess whatever tradition that needs to be done here, which is lots of booze, screaming, laughing, gambling, and uh, possibly women somewhere... Who knows? Maybe because it's a woman that's died, there's a bunch of dudes everywhere or something like that. I, I don't fucking know. I mean, what the hell? That should be, like, everybody's funeral, right? Let's, let's just have a fucking orgy and be done with it. Um, so, we see that she's lying there on the table. She trips and falls right into the coffin, of course. And Mrs. Ganache falls on top of her and all the embalming fluid... Ugh, it's so fucking disgusting. Just pours all over her goddamn face. And everybody takes a while before they actually go over there and help her up. And that's where we see what I'm assuming is the daughter basically say to her, you deserve whatever is coming for you. And then we switch over to Rom. Still going to make everything all right for her? You deserve everything that is coming to you. I believe what plagues you is the Lamia. Lamia, that's the word the old woman used. The black goat, only summoned by gypsies for their darkest deeds. For the first three days, the Lamia appears as a nasty spirit that torments its victim. After that, it reveals itself to be a taker of souls. 
and comes for the owner of the accursed object. Accursed object? What object? Something taken from the victim, cursed, and given back. This? What if I just burn it? I'm afraid no matter what condition the button is in, you would still be the owner. The Lamia would still come to take you. Take me where? Then how do I get rid of this? You could attempt to appease the spirit. The simplest way would be a blood offering. A small creature could be sacrificed. Uh, a chicken, perhaps. No way! Look, I'm a vegetarian. I volunteer at the, at the puppy shelter, for Christ's sake. I don't go around killing animals. You will be surprised what you'll be willing to do when the Lamia comes for you. That is possibly my favorite line in the movie because it is the exact sentiment for everybody, I believe, that would be stuck in this situation. He says straight up that in any situation, when this happens to you, you'll be amazed at what you can do. Like, I'm paraphrasing you, even though just fucking played. But I love that fucking statement because it's true. You don't know what you're going to do when, you know... When they come for you, right? Because you're a bad boy, bad boy. But nonetheless, when something like this, especially something that's way out of your control or you need to survive, when you go into survival mode, you're probably going to do whatever the fuck you need to do to fucking survive. You know, that's why you hear about people, you know, on, say, Mount Everest, you know, becoming cannibals because they need to survive all those people in that plane that crashed right and the movie alive was made about you don't know what the fuck you're gonna do if this guy's gonna die and it's gonna mean that you survive maybe you are gonna eat a dick for once who the fuck knows or maybe you're gonna go and you're gonna kill your favorite goldfish because you need to have an animal sacrifice even though you say you work with puppies and i work at a shelter doesn't mean when the demon is finally going to come for you that you're not gonna do shit the other thing is with the, the lady and she's like, you deserve whatever's coming to you. Actually, she doesn't. She really, really doesn't. Like, okay, part of her does. Because she really, like, she hasn't done... She made a decision based upon something that she didn't really, like... She wanted to get ahead in the world. And she thought that the way that she had to do that was to be aggressive. When honestly, as we kind of just learned, she just needed to complete the loan bullshit. Like, she could have told this lady, maybe he would have looked at her and he'd been like, Man, I do want you to be a little more aggressive and maybe this was a test. But at the same time, if she had just been like, You know what, we're going to do one more, but we're going to work on it. Like, had a better way of structuring it, but make sure that she also you know, made sure that the lady was okay for a little bit, then maybe he would have seen it differently. But no, she has in her mind that, well, Stu's getting the job because Stu is the fucking man over here. And even though he's new, he's working his way up. Where at the same time, it's like, um, you know, I gotta be more aggressive so that I can beat Stu. It's, it sucks that that's the route that she went. But I don't think she deserves to have a fucking demon chasing after especially after this lady attacked her multiple times 
Like, your mom came and, like, attacked her and, like, tried to rip out her hair, tried to choke her to death, tried to do all these things just because you're two months behind in your rent or your mortgage and the bank really can't do anything anymore. And she didn't have the fucking pride to come, like, or the lack of pride, I guess I should say, to come and fucking talk to you to go get the money to fucking do it. Or, you know, you've got so many goddamn people living in your house, maybe that's the reason why she didn't want to fucking go there. Who the fuck knows? But it's, she really doesn't deserve to have a demon come and try to drag her to fucking hell. So she goes home and she, you know, she's thinking about what was said to her. And she was given a book uh, from Joss over here that has all the different animal sacrifices that they can do. And it shows like a sheep being cut down the middle and the blood draining into a certain place. So she's there in her house. She starts hearing noises again. And then she's attacked by the fucking Lamia. The Lamia comes after her once again, and it scares the living shit out of her. And then, you know, she's finally fed up, and she is going to sacrifice something, and it happens to be her poor little kitty. Um, where, you know, we see her, you know, see the cat, and then we see her with a knife, and we see her stabbing, and the blood just flying up in the air, uh, and the poor little cat has been sacrificed. So, meanwhile, she's out in the backyard, and she's tried to call Clay beforehand as well, you know, to see if that he can help her out with something or whatever it is, because she thinks she's still just kind of freaking out. But once she's killed a cat, she does go bury it in the backyard, and that's when Clay shows up, because that same night, they're supposed to go see his mom. Chris? Chris? Hey, there you are. What are you doing out here? Maybe I called the bank. They said you left early. You're not answering my calls. Is that blood? No. Why would there be blood? Yeah, baby, there's there's blood on your sleeve. Oh. Are you bleeding? No. Um, it was just tomato juice. I was cutting a tomato in the kitchen, and it must have gotten on my sleeve. Hey, Chris, um... Why don't we do this dinner another time? We've had a rough couple of days. I think it's better. No, I, I, I want to go to the dinner. I know, but are you sure you're feeling all right? Honestly, I haven't been. But I, I think, I think that everything is going to be okay now. <laughs> I, I really do. Okay, if you think everything's going to be okay because you killed your fucking cat, you're fucking wrong. The second thing is, he's giving you an out to this whole situation. Like, everything's going bad, you've been seeing things. Of course, if you think that because you killed your cat, everything is fine, maybe you would go on with the dinner. But honestly, if I was in her situation, I would be like, you know what? That actually sounds like a good idea. Why don't we just stay home for the night? We'll relax. We'll make some popcorn. Maybe we'll watch some movies or something like that. I just need to get shit off my head. Just in case this shit actually didn't work and I'm still being tortured by a fucking demon, I don't have to do this while I meet the parents for the first fucking time in our relationship for this whole thing. And really, this is the first time that you're going to meet his fucking parents after you've been dating for a year? Isn't this something that happens in the first couple of months? Like, especially if you're a little more serious with a person. Like, I get it. His parent, his mom's a fucking dick. And he probably doesn't want her to get this total view of her or whatever. Because when we do meet his father, he's kind of a dork like his son over here. But 
I, I understand that maybe you didn't want to do it right away and you want things to be a little more serious, but come on. You could have just fucking dealt with it, I guess. I mean, come on, just fucking sack up and introduce her to your folks. That's it. I think it's a little easier this way than the other way around, like going to meet her folks. Uh, I think that women actually kind of take it a little easier meeting the mom and the dad rather than the son meeting the dad and the mom. I think it's a lot of worried because, you know... You don't want to look at the guy and be like, yeah, I've been plowing your daughter type of thing. You don't want to give that type of fucking face or anything like that. That is probably the most awkward thing ever. Um, and so they do go over to her parents' place. And it does lead to a little bit of an awkward first meeting between her and his mom. I'm going to love you. Clay. Hello, Mother. Good to see you. This is Christine. This is my mom, Trudy. Hello, Christine. Hello. It's very nice to meet you. Oh, well. Please, come in. Come in. Hey, Dad. Hey, sorry. Good to see you, sir. Um, this is Christine. Christine's my dad, Leonard. Nice to meet you. You have a beautiful home. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, can I get you a drink? Yeah, uh, wine? Do you guys want Sure. Yeah. Come help me. I'll be right back. I'll take a Chardonnay. Yes, dear. I hope you don't mind. Oh, how thoughtful. Homemade? Yes. And what type of cake would you call that? Uh, it's called... Um, a harvest cake. Is that something you would make on a... farm? No. I mean, not anymore. We used to when we, um, we had a gaggle of geese. Geese? Well, right around the harvest time, that's when your goose eggs will make a real dense yolk. Makes for a rich cake. Mmm. <laughs> well, I'll just... Thank you. Here we are. Sorry to interrupt the bonding sesh. Why don't you join us in the Good. dining room? Yeah, let's yeah. go. Okay. Let's right here. Whoa, Jesus. Heck, you bar. Never did understand that damned animal. I hate cats. That is so strange. Hecubia is usually very sweet. Oh, that's okay. I had a cat, I understand. Hmm. I mean, you have a cat. What do you mean? Something happened unless something happened to him. <laughs> well, how am I supposed to know? I mean, you know how cats are. They come and they go. <laughs> that's true. So, Hecuba is a weird name for a cat. I mean, I guess if you want to show that you're a little, like, better than everybody else, you want to talk about her being this, like, queen in Greek mythology, and supposedly she's one of the two, or two of her children are people that are in Homer's Odyssey. But it's just kind of, I was trying to find if there was some type of correlation between this film and, you know, that name. And I really couldn't find anything. But if anybody knows, I'd really like to know. I'd really have to go into it, I think, to actually find out more of any type of connection that there might be between the two. So they go and they decide to have dinner. Again, there is a little more awkwardness in there, especially since you can tell that the mom is like this high society woman. I mean, if you look at their house, it's huge and fabulous. 
and they're completely dressed up for a basic fucking dinner. I mean, if it was me and my parents, uh, you know, it'd be like a jeans and t-shirt night. You know, it wouldn't be like a who let the hogs out t-shirt or anything like that. But it would definitely be something more relaxed and casual than them getting completely and utterly dressed up to meet the girlfriend for the very first time. And it's a little intimidating when you walk into such a giant fucking house and this is the first time that you've ever fucking met the family, uh, you know, for the first time in your relationship with your significant other. So I get it. And there's a little bit of like, oh, you know, hesitation when they talk about the farm and the harvest cake. And I've never known anybody use goose eggs for anything. I think that's really kind of weird. Um, It may taste good. I don't know. Maybe I've eaten a a cake with goose eggs in it. I don't fucking know. But it wouldn't be my first choice if I was going to make a cake or eat a cake for that matter. So they go into the, uh, the dining room over there. And they sit down for what turns out to be yet another awkward situation. So how's the coin collection, son? (laughs) That's my dad's way of saying, so you're still a huge nerd. (laughs) Uh, It's good. It's good. In fact, Christine just got me a 1929 standing Liberty cord at her bank. Really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's rare. Oh, I just think that job of a bank teller must be so difficult. With all that counting and repetition, it must get very tedious. Yes, you're right. But I'm not a teller. Oh? Yeah, Mom, I told you Christine's a loan officer. Oh. She handles all the loans for small businesses and, and, and homes for her bank. And she's up for this big promotion, so... Right, Chris? If I could close this one account that I'm working on, it would really help. Oh, that must be a very important loan. It's the biggest that my branch has ever handled. And how did that come to you? Well, I was reading the Wall Street Journal and came across this medical supply company that was looking to expand but didn't have the liquidity. So I met with their CFO and presented a formula for restructuring some of their long-term debt. Sounds like you've got a lot going for you, Christine. Well, your mother must be very proud of you. I suppose. Uh, I don't see much of my mother. Why is that? Well, Mom, that's... it's kind of personal. I'm speaking to Christine. Uh, well, ever since my dad died, um, she doesn't talk much. She just, uh, stays on the farm and keeps to herself because... Because? Because her husband died, Mom, and she just wants to be by herself. Why don't... Because my mother's an alcoholic. Oh, I'm sorry. It's certainly nothing to be ashamed of. I have to say, I find your honesty very refreshing. My father had a drinking problem, and I was always too ashamed to admit it. You've got backbone. Unlike that last girl he brought by, what was her name? (laughs) Alice. We don't have to... Alicia. Alicia. Oh, she was dreadful, Christine. Oh, she was ill-mannered, no ambition at all. Well, really... they met on the internet. Oh, there what you is go. that? Well, they met on the internet. Really? What does oh, that mean? Am I being too oh. hard on him? No, not at all. Thank you very much. You know, I think I will try some of that cake of yours. Okay, so this situation, this whole thing with this dinner is really kind of fucked up, if you ask me. Like... 
she's basically like grilling into her and she's like kind of giving a little bit about herself and everything. And then it's like the mom's got to pressure her and pressure her even more to the point that she does come out and she's like, look, my mom's a fucking alcoholic. And after my dad died, she couldn't handle anymore. So she just went away on her own and was fucking drinking herself to death and doesn't really want to talk to anybody else to the point that that somehow resonates with his mom. Like, she's being such an utter bitch the entire time. Like, putting her down, calling her a teller when she's not a teller. She's a lone fucking officer, which means she needs to do more. Like, nobody gives her any fucking credit, and she's got to constantly prove her worth. And then you see even more that this is, a lot of this comes from, because she's got a background where her mom's a fucking alcoholic, and that probably sets into a lot of what people think about her as well. So, once again, she's got to kind of fight for her you know, right to exist or to be in the situation that she's in. And it's really fucked up that you got to do it with somebody else's parents. And it takes the fact that your mother's a fucking drunk for it to finally click in and be like, oh, well, you know what? My father was a drunk too, so we can be really good friends. What the fuck is up with that? Why the hell is that the situation that it's got a fucking call for? It can't just be that, hey, you know what? You love my son. My son loves you. I should just be fucking happy with this. Oh, no, my father was drunk and your father or your mom's a fucking drunk. You know, maybe they should have gotten together. But it's not just that fact. It's honestly, it's the other part, too, which is actually relatively noble and nice that she steps down from it, where she's like, well, you're very truthful and very forward with that information. And I do like that. And honestly, I think most parents would like that. If nobody's fucking bullshitting them in any way, you're just telling the truth. It's kind of a good way to live with your life. And she's not afraid to tell the truth about what the hell's wrong with her family. Great. So it all works out for her. And then the hallucinations start after everything. Before that, though, the other thing I've... There's two things that are kind of dated in this movie or one seems weird and one seems dated now and it's weird that it seems dated now i know the movie's 10 years old okay that itself always amazes me whenever i hear about movies oh it's the 30th anniversary that movie's 30 fucking years old oh my god but here this is 10 right and it's weird to think that one of these references is dated or one of the jokes they make is dated and the other one is just odd the first one is one of the times where Chris calls Clay. She's calling him on a flip phone. And yes, flip phones still exist. But when she calls him, he has an iPhone. And this is one of the first times that I can remember seeing a smartphone in a movie. And nowadays, it's always going to be a smartphone to a smartphone. It's rarely going to be... It's odd if you see it the other way around. Where somebody calls, man, you have a flip phone? And they make fun of the whole situation. But here, it was like showing that he came from money and had class. Because he had a smartphone. And she just had a regular old fucking flip Motorola phone. That, I found, was weird. The other thing here is that she makes the joke of, well, she found him, you know, he found her on the internet, excuse me. And it's weird now, because that type of dating is, like, totally normal. Like, everything is fine. And it's really dated to hear that as a fucking joke. And some people have been like, why is that funny? Like, that doesn't, because back in that time, there was a big stigma on people dating people from the internet. You know, the only reason you went to fucking Craigslist was because you wanted something fucking demented, not because you wanted to find love. But there's plenty of people that have, you know, and nowadays, you know, it kind of started out that similar way. But now a lot of it is just, it's internet dating. That's kind of what some people do. 
They don't go out to a place to meet somebody. They do go out to the place, but they find somebody that looks attractive and then hope that it works out rather than find somebody that looks attractive and maybe they shoot you down because it's a, you know, a weird situation and then but they really were attracted to you in the first place. You know, it's weird. But it's just another form of fucking dating. So it's weird to hear it in this movie talked about in that regard. But I digress. So she begins seeing more types of hallucinations. One being an eyeball in the cake, which I really like because it's a practical effect and it looks great. Especially at a time where practical effects weren't used very often and had started to go away from horror movies. That looked really, really fucking cool. Uh, especially the way that it worked. The other thing is, is that when she sees it, she stabs it and it starts leaking like jelly fluid all over the damn thing. Everybody's enjoying the cake. She decides to take a piece of the cake. She starts to eat, then she starts to cough, and then she coughs out that fly that she ate earlier in the movie. The other thing that I find funny, and it's a weird type of foreshadowing, is that she ate the fly, and you know that flies only live for about three days, right? And it's funny that at the beginning of the whole thing, she had the fly, and there was a fly with a little kid in the beginning, so that's like the symbolism there. But And the fly like left the situation there. But the fly is now leaving a day before supposedly she's going to die. So it's it's really interesting that it like enters in her. And then, you know, it's been two days. Now it's leaving on the third day. She's supposedly going to be taken. So she, you know, coughs up the fly. The parents freak the fuck out. And they start spitting out the cake because they're looking at the raisins thinking the flies are in the cake. And if the flies were in the cake, they would have been baked in. They're not going to come back to fucking life. They're not randomly just going to fly out. What do you think? The cake is a fucking type of chiral chamber for them? Like, oh, you get baked into the cake. You're okay to survive for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden you're going to fly the fuck out when you're touched with, you know, human intestines or some shit like that. Or saliva or whatever the fuck you want it to be. And so... She, you know, they're freaking out. She's freaking out. She's just, her head is being pounded with noises of the Lamia. And finally she's like, all right, I hear you. And she throws a glass against the door. And then they leave uh, with her still freaking out. It really doesn't go as planned. Oh my God. I'm sorry, I don't, I, there must be a window open. Chris. Okay, I hear you! Leave me alone! Just leave me the hell alone! Babe, there's no one there. I think I better go. Yes, I think that would be best. Yeah. Wait, Chris. Don't follow her. She's a sick girl. Oh, she needs my help. Let her go. So she leaves the whole place. He, like, waits for a little bit. And even though he doesn't exactly know what's going on, because, like, before when she lied about the fucking blood, which, honestly, are you going to believe that blood on her fucking thing was ever going to be tomato juice? Come on, tomato juice isn't that fucking thick. And plus, when it comes when you're cutting tomatoes, it's not even that fucking red. It's more orangey. But nonetheless, like, he really, truly, again, does care for her. He wants to go after her, even though the parents are like, she's fucking crazy. Like, everything that's going on here tonight, you know, her mom's a fucking drunk. She did this bullshit. She's fucking crazy. 
like causes him to hesitate, but he still wants to go after her. She, instead of going home or getting out of the situation, decides to go and see Jaws once again. And when she does go see him, he explains what is going to happen to her and exactly what like he needs by tomorrow. Wait! What's the matter? Ah! Oh. Look, I did what you said! I killed that little kitty! You're so full of shit! These are elusive and powerful forces we're dealing with. There are no guarantees. We must speak directly to this dark spirit. We must dissuade it from taking your soul. And soon... I know someone who can help us. And I'm supposed to trust you. Tomorrow is the third day. After that, the Lamia will come for you. We can't let that happen. But you must understand, the woman who can help us must put herself at great risk. She will not do that for free. What do you need from me? $10,000. Cash. By tomorrow. Ten fucking G's? You need 10 fucking G's by tomorrow. And especially since you know what's going to happen in that scene. If you've seen this movie before, is it fucking worth it? So she goes back into her house and she starts thinking about what she needs to do exactly to get the money she needs to, you know, exercise the demon. So the first thing that she does is she goes into work and she decides to see if she can ask her boss for an advance on that fucking new job money that she's going to get. And he totally denies her because the person or the company that was going to take the loan with him decided to go with a different bank. And you know what? That's just not going to work out for them. You know, whatever she was doing, however she was doing it, it's just, it failed. Like somebody took the information over to another bank and they're kind of thinking maybe it's her, but he's not explicitly saying that it is. She then goes back to her house and goes into her like shed garage thing and starts pulling down all of her valuables to see if there's enough there of her stuff that she can sell so that she can make the $10,000. When she's there, she's attacked by the ghost of Mrs. Ganesh. Well, the Lamy, I guess you could say what it is. It starts choking her and eventually she sees that, hey, there's a way for me to stop her by cutting this rope in like a Looney Tunes fucking cartoon fucking having an anvil crush her down on the head and the anvil does come down when she does it hits her on the head her eyes pop out of her like face it's like her eyes and her tongue and they fly and they completely cover her and it's the worst fucking cg i have ever fucking seen it is terrible i mean there's terrible and there's fucking this like if this was a 3d movie i guess maybe that would suffice but it looks so bad so bad i honestly don't know what the fuck they were thinking in this scene like okay i get it you want to you have this really cool idea and honestly raimi's done this as a practical effect before yeah it was a little cheesy but if you go with kind of cheesy for this movie and a lot of the things have been kind of cheesy it would be fine it would fit but no you go for this weird cgi mess that just looks fake as a motherfucker and 
ridiculously, ridiculously terrible. So she gets a face full of old person eyeball and whatever the fuck gets squeezed out of her head. And then she, like, panics, but then she realizes that there's nothing on her. And she does go over to a pawnbroker who then tells her, basically, uh, you're about a few bucks short. So how much? Uh, 3800 for everything. Including my jewelry? Including. But this stuff is worth so much more than that. Please, this is all I have. I'm begging you. Take it or leave it. that I would I would always look out for you and always take care of you so I paid him you remember the night that you fell in love with me I remember the second I fell in love with you oh my god so again this is one of those things where like you kind of see how much he truly does care for her. And it's almost like he's proposing there, but he's not proposing. Like, if it were me, I totally would have just popped the question at that moment. Like, look, we're going to be in this through thick and thin. I've paid. But how did he even know about everything? Like, did she call him and be like, look, I need ten grand," Or did he, like, see, hey, you look like you got rid of a bunch of stuff. You have all this money. Where did it all come from? Well, you know, I need $10,000. I don't have it right now. Like, and again, if this is her place, how does she have this place and not have that type of money just sitting around? Like, this place is hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. Even back in 2009, especially wherever it is close to Pasadena, it is in, in like, a residential area that's really fucking beautiful. That thing is fucking lovely and is expensive probably as fuck. Yet you don't have the money to bring for this guy Raj, like you sell all of your stuff. So then it makes me believe that uh, this is probably Justin Long's place and she's just staying there with him. But I, again, I don't fucking know and I really shouldn't look into it anymore. But 
it's just like he knows somehow and so he pays him off the ten thousand dollars after she was only able to collect thirty eight hundred dollars of the whole thing how he's so easy just to give in and actually believe her or it's enough for me like you believe this i'm with you it makes me like the relationship between them and you know what ends up happening makes it even more fucked up as it is so they go over to you know ross ram joss and he introduces him to the lady from the beginning of the movie who is the one that's going to try to get rid of the demon if you will permit me the pleasure of an introduction sean sandina welcome how do you do sean sandina is an experienced medium furthermore she's personally been touched by the lamia i first encountered this spirit many years ago in this very house and what happened i lost my young boy soul to the beast i have waited these long years for a chance at redeeming myself a chance to destroy the foul thing Tetichko, please. Tonight, my chance will come. But to summon it, I will need your help. Can you be strong? My late husband, Sandor, was also medium. He chose this site to build a house upon because he sensed certain forces at work here. In this place, there is a particular confluencia de energías que permiten tener los portales abiertos por los cuales nosotros vamos a pasar. A particular confluence of forces which allows a doorway to be opened through which we may pass. Pero también por los cuales ellos podrán pasar a nuestro mundo. And through which others may pass into our world. Okay, why the fuck does she need $10,000 so that she can fight this thing again? That's the part of this I don't fucking get. She wants another fucking crack at the Lamia, okay? But for her to take her crack at the Lamia, she first needs $10,000. Why wouldn't she do this out of the whole thing of, I need to fight this thing again? Like, I have a feeling this is just for Rom to get the fucking money. Like, he's a lot more money hungry than he leads himself to believe. But oh oh, no, no, that can't be the fucking case in this situation. The fucking case is she just needs the fucking money. Oh, but wait, maybe she doesn't really... Look at this fucking house. Yeah, I understand the outside needs the fucking lawn trimmed. It needed to be fucking watered, but they're in fucking Southern California. So I fucking get it at the same time. But $10,000 so that she can have another fucking crack at this demon? That's fucking bullshit. Like, you don't need that shit. You should have just helped this fucking girl. You should have just said, okay, you know what? I just need to fucking get get it on again. I need to be able to beat this thing. So, come on. We're totally going to just fucking help you here. Like, no cost to you, nothing. I want to make sure I get my fucking revenge against this guy for taking over the little kid when I didn't have a chance to fucking save that kid. That's it. That's it. Give her fucking money back. Be done with it. 
But no, of course not. She's got to lead her in some little thing. Now, the set here is fucking awesome. Like, they made this amazing fucking set. And if a lot of it is CGI, fuck, they fucking fooled me because it looks really fucking cool. And the detail on it looks fucking great. And this is one of the things I wish I had seen in the goddamn theater. And so they all sit around the table. And now they're going to chant to make sure that they bring the Lamia into her. She's going to explain a little bit exactly what they need to do and how they're going to handle everything. So eh, I'll just let her explain it a little bit. Once the spirit has entered me, put my hand upon the animal. Do you understand? Yes. I force the spirit of the Lamia into the goat. Milos, that's when you strike. See, Titichko. Así fuerte como te enseñé. I understand. We all must be receptive. You're my dead. Hmm. What am I supposed to do? You must allow the darkness in. You must invite the dead to come mingle with your spirit. I'm scared. Yes. I'll repeat these words. <laughs> I welcome the dead into my soul. I welcome the dead into my soul. You must believe it. I welcome the dead into my soul. 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 Los están con nosotros. I welcome the dead into my soul. I welcome the dead into my soul. And that's when the Lamia goes into the old lady. Now, there's a couple of neat things that do happen here. One, there's actually a goat scare. When they bring the goat out for the first time, it actually is kind of shocking because you hear the hooves and then all of a sudden it's just a goat. And that's what we expected to hear from a Lamia because it is the goat demon. So she has now, you know, well, first things first, before they actually call the Lamia, they call a ton of spirits. And there are not like a ton of spirits. They say there's a ton here uh, or there's a lot of spirits here. And they do conjure up some and it's not exactly the one that they're looking for. So they get to the point where they banish all those spirits and then the Lamia actually does come and they've got to exorcise the demon uh, in the way that they said because it's taken over the lady's body. Now inhabits the body of Sean Sandin. Lamia, what is it you desire? I desire the soul of Christian Brown. We will feast upon it as she festers on the brave. Lamia, surely you can be dissuaded from taking this insignificant woman. Surely she's not worthy of your greatness. 
Okay, so there's a lot of shit that's going on during this scene that I really enjoy. The beginning of it is okay. kind of reminds me of Evil Dead in the way that the movements of the lady when she's possessed by the demon, the eyes, the teeth. It looks actually a lot like she's transformed like the gypsy woman, right? Like Mrs. Ganesh uh, from the beginning of the film. That's just kind of like the look that you got. And the fact that she's kind of like... All I want is her. You can't dissuade me. That's exactly whose soul that I want. Then, you know, she does manage to get her to touch the goat. And when it turns into the goat, it's all practical. And it looks fucking great. Is it cheesy? It is cheesy as a motherfucker. Completely cheesy. Super, like, looks. But I love it. I love the way it looks. I love the way the the voice changes to match the goat. Now you tricked me. Like, it's fucking cool. I just, I absolutely have so much fun watching that part. And then the goat gets away so easily. They're like, go over there, kill it. And like, you tricked me, bitch. Fucking love it. Fucking love that goat, man. I could watch a whole movie with the goat being like that and just being the evil fucking guy for the whole fucking movie. Killer goat. Okay, we need that movie like stat. I need to see a killer goat movie. It's like Thanks Killing meets like Evil Dead, but it's all a goat. Perfect. I'd watch it. Um, but 
you you have him and then he like backs off right as he swings like the demon knows how to get away from that you're not even trying to be fucking subtle you're being subtle the whole time trying to get her to transfer the demon into the goat and then when the goat bites the guy's hand it like instantly transfers over to him it's really weird i thought it would have stayed with the goat would have been fun to watch them try to fight off the goat and eventually have to ban the goat but you know that's just the way that it goes so then he when he goes into the guy's body like he starts doing the crazy ass dance on the table while he's floating it's like watching eugene fucking kelly like do his little dance up there i'm just waiting for fucking jerry to come over and dance right next to him in the flames it's really ridiculous it's really funny and it's really freaking entertaining then he like blocks her from running away and then when he gets up to her he's like i don't want your fucking cat and he barfs up the dead cat and and throws it at her like barfs it up towards her and when it hits the ground all the like barf juices or cat dead juices all fling over the place and fling on top of her again she's been beat up so much and had so many random gross things happen to her in this movie that this is just even more ridiculous so they finally do banish the demon away and unfortunately the old seer that she just paid two to ten thousand dollars to she dies so that money's gonna do you nothing even in your fight against this guy and you still fucking failed but of course as they're loading her corpse up into the ambulance chris she thinks something a little different but rom has to set her straight so sad yes strange how things work out she waited 40 years for another chance to overcome the lamia and finally on the last night of her life she did no i'm afraid you misunderstand the lamia cannot be banished by a medium this is our lesson tonight. I'm sorry. But I saw her get rid of no, the thing. No, you saw her drive it from a seance. That is all. It will be back. The goat was never slaughtered. And this night is through. Alamia will come for the owner of the accursed object. Unless, of course, you were no longer the owner. Do you have the button? Make a gift of it, and you've given the curse away. Why didn't you tell me this before? Because the Lamia will tear the soul out of whoever you give that to, and burn in hell for eternity. And I would have sent them there. And I would be your accomplice. Whatever you decide, you have to warn it. Okay, so you're telling me that the way that she could have avoided everything, if you had just fucking told her once that if you give this away to somebody and tell them they have to take control of it, that you would have just passed on the curse. And you could give this to anybody. You could give it, like to a bum on the street drop some change into his little bucket but drop the button at the same time here these are all for you you own these now oh thank you and then he has the button you know and she doesn't want to take it back that's it if he agrees to taking whatever it is or that's the transaction that you've got there right there's no like you know (laughs) 
there's no returns, refunds, or, you know, it's all just one transference of a Lamy at a time. There's some weird fucking contract and the terms of agreement that now we've signed that I've given you this button. It means that you're going to die and I'm not. Why wouldn't you tell her that? Like, I get it. Her character probably wouldn't have taken it that well. But again, it's one of those situations where, just like she said, or like, you know, Rom said earlier on, that you don't know what you're going to do when your life is on the line. And honestly, she could have given it to anybody. She didn't have to know the person. She didn't have to give it. She could have just, you know, what's that little bitch fucking niece that you don't like or that nephew that's always fucking complaining or, you know, the one that's always in in trouble all the time, always running with gangs, you know, and beating up baby seals and all that shit. That's the one guy that you hate in your family that you're just going to give it to. Hey, here's your birthday present. Oh, fuck. She gave me this. Oh, what a great gift. She gave me a button. You know, that's all you have to do. Or there's, you know, that one, like, asshole drunkard that beats up his girlfriend that you know. Give it to that asshole. Or you know who you can give it to? You can give it to fucking Stu. Like, that's it. That would have been easy. End of movie. But, of course, I know at the same time that she probably wouldn't have been able to go through with it. So, she goes back. Clay, you know, he's very worried that, you know, just to see if she's okay now and whether or not things are actually finished. But, of course, she kind of lies to him. Is it over? It's over. You will burn in hell! You will burn in hell! You bitch, you burn in hell! Your time's coming! You okay? Oh, shit. So, it's absolutely crazy what's kind of going on with the scene. It's really short. She's like, you know, are you okay? And then he almost runs into the guy, and then he's like basically telling... Well, first she sees, you know, Mrs. Ganache over there and almost runs her over. And then it turns to that guy, and he's like, you'll burn in hell, you'll burn in hell. And she has the button on her lap. And of course, it flies off of her lap onto the floor and gets mixed up with a bunch of papers that all come from Clay's fucking bag. So it's like, uh, you know, they're trying to scramble to find it. She's freaking out when when she gets dropped off. And eventually she does find it and she's okay with it. She goes to her local diner. And at the local diner, she starts looking around to see who she could possibly give it to. The waitress gives her crap, basically saying, hey, are you just going to drink coffee all night? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking drink coffee. What's it to you? She's like, well, I don't give a big fucking tip if the only people that drink coffee. And she's like, I'll give you the biggest and the worst fucking tip in the world if you don't fucking just keep bringing me coffee. So basically showing that she's going to give her the butt. And so she looks around and she sees an old man that is like with like an air tank. And she's like, perfect, I'll get up and I'll go give it to him because he might not have long to live. And then she sees his elderly wife like walk up to the table and she grows a soft spot and decides that, no, I can't kill the poor old man. And like that honestly is a good person to get it to. Who knows how much longer he's got left, but I get it. You want to give him as much time with his wife as possible. Then she gets the idea that she's going to call Stu and give him the goddamn button. But of course... She's too nice for that bullshit. 
Never mind what it's about, Stu. Just get here in ten minutes or I'm gonna tell Mr. Jack something you don't want me to tell him. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, for starters, that you stole the McPherson loan file off my desk and gave it to First National. Now you got nine minutes. Give me another. Seriously? I mean, if my dad ever finds out, just tell me what you want. I need to give something to you. A little gift. A gift? But I don't understand. I thought you called me down here because I, I gave that loan to First National. Look, you don't need to understand. Just shut up! Now, this gift that I'm giving you, it'll become your property. You'll be the owner, all right? Okay, first off, who the fuck is his dad? Second off, why the hell would you just, like, give up on it? Why wouldn't you just give it to him? Just fucking give him the button. He's already being a fucking dick, especially when he comes back, You're not gonna tell my dad, are you? No, fuck you, I am gonna tell your fucking dad, you little fucking piece of shit. Like, just give him the goddamn button, be done with it, and you're totally saved. Like, I just don't get it. She could do this to anybody. You don't have to know the person. Just drop it off somewhere. Like I said, find a guy begging for money on the street, put some change in your pocket along with the goddamn button, throw it all in there, and now you've given it away, and this is the gift to you. Or do you explicitly have to say, I am giving you this, please accept this gift? I I just don't know, but I would just be like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to give this away, make sure they take it, and especially if they agree to take it. And like I said, if you're throwing it in somebody's like change cup that they're sitting there, that's automatically a contract, and they've accepted your money and accepted whatever they received. Even if they throw away the button, they're still going to come after your ass, and you're never going to have to deal with Lamia again. So she totally fucks this up by not giving it to Stu, But then she decides that she's going to go back over to Rom and she's going to see if there's an idea that she has, if that's going to work. There are gypsy blessings bestowed upon the dead. They give gifts to their departed to curry favor with the deceased soul. But truly the soul never dies. Yes. I do believe you can give the curse to someone who has passed on. But you must make a formal gift of the accursed object to the deceased. Oh, I'll do better than that. I'll shove it down her goddamn throat. I'm gonna get some. Her plan here is to go and dig up the grave of Ganache and then give her the button and basically transfer it that way. Like, basically drag her dead soul to hell 
because gypsies don't believe that you've truly died, that you're actually still alive, and that if you're giving her a gift of anything, that it's a gift and that she owns it after she's been given the gift. Honestly, it's a pretty good plan, and especially for somebody just like her, where she is like that type of person which is a little passive-aggressive and doesn't want to really do anything damaging to anybody else, and if she can give it to somebody that's dead, that's even fucking better. So she goes to the grave and she digs up the poor dead body of Mrs. Ganache. And then basically it starts to rain and a bunch of guests, you know, more shit happened to her where the body flies at her. She gets covered in mud uh, and she does tell the body to quote unquote choke on this bitch. I'm giving it back to you. You're going to take this thing. So she shoves it down her throat. It's great in this scene because she takes the shovel and she shoves it into her mouth and pries her mouth open like she's finally getting her revenge on Mrs. Ganache for all the shit that she put her through by basically cursing her with the Lamia. So she shoves it in her face. She can't quite get out of there as the water is filling up the grave, but she does get out of there at the break of dawn, completely covered in mud, but now the curse has been transferred over to the old lady who's now buried in the mud in the cemetery. Somebody's going to have a field day when they go there on, you know, on Monday morning, look at the graves, see that's been digged up and it's completely covered in mud and that some old lady's head is like kind of sticking out the top of it. So she goes, she takes a shower and then everything starts coming up, Chris. Hi, it's Christine. Leave a message and I'll call you back. Christine, it's Jim, Jim Jacks. I'm sorry I'm calling so early, but last night I found some troubling information about our friend Stu Rubin. Apparently, he stole your file on the McPherson loan and then tried to broker his own deal at First National. I guess he thought we wouldn't find out, and we wouldn't have either, except that an hour ago, he came by my house and tried to pin the whole thing on you. After I confronted him about a few inconsistencies in his story, he broke down crying and, well, <laughs> we won't be seeing him around anymore. So I just wanted you to know that come Monday morning, that assistant manager's position will be waiting for you. So it wasn't going to be waiting for you because, you know what, we just didn't think that you were good enough for the job. But now that we found out the guy that we were going to give the job was trying to pin some bullshit on you and he was possibly a dick, hey, guess what? You get to have the job. At that point, I'd say, fuck you, you asshole. I quit. I'm going to go do something new. Especially after I've survived all this fucking bullshit and he's done nothing but be a fucking dick. The whole thing, everything that he's done, he's been a fucking dick. He's been a fucking dick to me around you. That should have just gotten him fired. The moment that he's like, oh yeah, if my boss is asking me to go get something, maybe I will. 
But at the same time, then he butts in. He's like, oh, yeah, why don't you get me a sandwich too, bitch? Get in that kitchen. Get fucking barefoot and make me a fucking sandwich. Like, come on. Can't you do something about this? Shouldn't you have done something about this a while ago? And she's been working hard. And you think she would have fucked herself over like that by giving the loan to somebody else? Like, you seem like you're blaming it on her, but she didn't do shit. And now all of a sudden, here comes fucking Stu. And he tries to already pin this shit on her, but he gets caught. So, okay, everything seems to be coming up, Chris, here. And everything seems to be nice. So she goes to the train station where she's supposed to meet Clay... Because they're going to go down there and they're going to go to his parents' place. And hopefully she can mend that relationship with them as well. She sees a jacket in the window. The place is not open yet. But she decides that, hey, I'm going to buy it. I just want to get that. And the lady's kind enough to let her buy the jacket. So she goes up to the, you know, the edge of the train station where all the trains are. And we do see that Clay has a ring in his pocket. And he's fumbling with it. And it's obviously, like, what he's going to do while they're on this little vacation. But, as happy endings go, this isn't one of them. Clay. Hey. Oh, hey, everybody. God, I'm so glad you're here. So many things I want to tell you. There's something I want to say while I have it straight in my head. Okay, go ahead. You never stopped believing in me. Thank you for that. And there's something else, something uh, that I, I couldn't admit to before. I could have given Mrs. Ganesh another extension on her loan, but I didn't. It was my decision. It was wrong with me. You have such a good heart. So beautiful right now. Do you like my new coat? I do, I really do. What happened to the old one though? I threw it out and I never want to see it again. Oh no. That's too bad because I look what I found. I found this in the car. I thought um I thought maybe you could uh I thought maybe you could sew back on. I think you might have my standing liberty order. Because the envelopes kind of look the same. What's wrong? Oh my god! Hey, hey, hey! Hey, hey, hey! Chris! Oh god! Hey, hey! Hey, hey, no! Hey! Oh god, no!
So if you don't know the ending of the film and you couldn't get it by just what you heard, uh, she did not have the button. She actually had the coin and everything was kind of telegraphed from the beginning when she did give the coin over to Clay at the beginning and he put it in the envelope and he just never took it out of his bag. And if you forgot about it, that's great because the first time I wasn't paying attention to as much as it was either. So this came as a big surprise. Now going through it, I can see where it's telegraphed. So it's still a good ending. But if you're really paying attention, you would have known, especially when he they fucking looked down the bottom of the car, you know, at her feet in the car, I should say. And you see all the papers everywhere. And if you remembered about the coin, you know, it, it does feel like... Hey, you know, we totally lost something or whatever. You know, we just didn't get it in time. And then, you know, here we go. I found it at the last possible moment and I do have the button. So it's it's a good ending and she does get dragged to hell. It is it is a fucked up ending, you know, and I should say, and that was drag me to hell. So it's a fucked up ending <laughs> because it really feels like she doesn't deserve it. But when she does say at the end, you know what? She finally admits to it. It was my choice. I was the one that had it. And she keeps trying to blame it on everybody else. Like, this wasn't her choice. Like, no, it's my manager. No, it's this person. No, it's that. No, ultimately, it was you. And she paid for what she did by being dragged down to hell. Because she was, like, so worried about getting rid of it. Instead of being, you know being truthful about everything because she could have worked out something for this person she could have done more than she did because the guy gave but she really wanted that promotion so it's just a little bit of selfish behavior that really fucking does her in because she's so worried that she's not going to get the job that she needs that she wants that she works so hard to do and to get and ultimately that's what fucks her like there's nothing else that she's done in this movie i mean there's a lot of like once she realized everything that's going on and all the stuff that's going on around her and the things that she does are fucked up at that point. But everything beforehand was just to get her up ahead to make sure that everybody liked her, to show her love for her boyfriend, you know, to show that her boss, that she's a really hard worker and she'll do anything to get that position, to deal with the asshole and just totally ignore him to better herself. The first thing that we see is her just trying to work on herself and make herself a better person because honestly she is. And it is nailed in there where the one gypsy lady asks her, do you used to be a fat girl? And it's because of the way that she carries herself. Like, those that have lost that, they don't want to go back to it sometimes. Not everybody is like that, but that's kind of the stereotype, right? You've lost all this weight and you're now so better, but you don't want to become that person again because you've changed yourself and you need to prove that you could never be that person. It could be that with anything besides weight as well. It could be used to be an asshole in your past and now all of a sudden you become a really nice guy and you just want to prove to everybody, look, I'm not that asshole that I used to be. I'm really even improved and I'm doing better for myself than I was back in that time where I was an asshole as a kid and now I'm totally like the good guy and I realize everything I did was wrong. It's the same thing I would say with somebody that's been an alcoholic as well. And that could spawn from it too because, you know, her mom's an alcoholic, she used to be fat, and maybe she doesn't want to go down that route either. 
You know, and she says that she used to be, or she's lactose intolerant whenever she's eating the ice cream. And I don't think that's the case because she's not anywhere around like shitting her brains out anytime in this movie. I think that's just like the fatty fatty that was in the back of her head was like, I used to eat all this stuff. I can't do this anymore. So I'm going to tell myself I'm lactose intolerant or tell other people because I'm afraid if I start doing that, I'm going to revert to what I used to be rather than just being happy for yourself. So... Ultimately, everything that she does is, you know, because of the type of person she is, and she ends up paying for it pretty much, you know, at the end of this film. So, does it suck as an ending? No, I think it's actually really good. Does it suck for the character? Oh, it totally sucks for the character. There's no reason why she should have gotten what she got, and, you know, a bunch of it is her own mistake, right? The fact that I might have opened it up and taken out the button. But at the same time, now she's trying to hide it like, look, I'm going to give this to you. This is going to be yours. And then it's not a button. What if she gave it to Stu and then he opened it up and he's like, why are you giving me this coin? This coin is fucking rare. And then she would have been like, oh shit, I need to go get the button. And then go get the button. But, you know, her nice nature, again, screws her in that situation. So... I really do enjoy the ending of this film, and it sucks to see a character like this that's gone through so much shit. Again, she's being thrown around, she's got maggots barfed on her, she's had embalming fluid all over her face, she's got old lady fucking saliva all over her, getting gummed, She's she has all the fucking mud water from digging her up, she's thrown into pots and pans, socked in the face by a demon, which is fucking hilarious. Um, thrown in the thing, almost bit by a fucking goat. You know, all this shit has fucking happened to her, and she still can't escape her fucking fate of being dragged to hell, which happens right in front of Clay, and you can just see the tears. Like, he didn't believe that anything was going on, and then all of a sudden, boom, she's been dragged to hell right in front of his fucking face. So, um, if I'm going to rate the film... Uh, I'm going to give the gore in this a 2 out of 5. It's got some pretty big blood spray. Uh, you could probably lower it a little bit because it is PG-13. But it does have some really disgusting stuff that I consider to be relatively gory. You know, the the face thing, uh, even though it looks terrible, it's still like that. Hand going down the throat, the other thing going down her throat. The lady's eyeball getting stapled and stapled shut. Um, you know, all the stuff that she's throwing up and the maggots and the bombing fluid, it's all in that realm. And that scene, the extended scene of the gore, uh, for, you know, that, uh, the blood spraying scene happening there is pretty fucking brutal. Um, the crap factor, I'm going to give it a three out of five because sometimes the acting is really good and sometimes the acting is really terrible. And it mostly comes from our lead. She's mixed. She has her moments, and she does some of her best acting when she's at the end of the movie and she's telling the fucking corpse to choke on that. Um, that's some of the best that she does. But then she's got some like, oh, well, um, everything's okay and everything's like this, and blah, 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 blah. Fun, I'd give this a four out of five. This is a fun fucking movie. Man, from the moment it starts... You're just whipped into the whole situation to the, you know, the fact that she's, you know, basically dragged to hell at the end of the movie. It's just unexpected, and it's a very, very fun film. Uh, it makes you laugh. It makes you scared. It makes you, you know, has some really tense moments in it, and it's just great. So, the overall rating for the film, I'm going to give it, it's going to be a 4 out of 5 barf maggots. 
Uh, like I said, it's just a fun movie. Uh, you can't go into this being totally serious. This is like Evil Dead 2. Man, this is probably his greatest film since then. It, it's just a lot of fun. You sit there, you laugh at the things, even the stuff, even the part with the cat, right? The part with the cat, and especially in the uncut version, it's meant to be a little darker, but I still find it fucking funny because she's just like, I'm not going to do it. There's no way. And then she's attacked by the Lamia and then she goes and kills the fucking cat. It's not ha-ha funny. It's funny, like ironic funny that that's the way that they're going to do these things. So uh, it's definitely a film I think everybody should check out if you're on the edge about it and you listen to this. Um, it would be fucking fun just to wa- sit and watch it again, and I'm glad that I did. Now, before we talk about the next movie, I do want to talk about some of the changes that were done. Because I said that I would, and I'm not going to forget this time. Um, so, basically, the theatrical version has a couple little scenes that are changed uh, in the unrated version. And like I said, the unrated version actually runs a little bit longer or sorry, shorter than the theatrical version does. So the first part, it says, uh, it's only like a second long in this. So when Christina or uh, Chris hits Mrs. Ganesha's head with a staple, the first stroke has been filmed in a different way. And the second stroke, including the up close of a cramp sticking in her forehead, was completely removed in the theatrical version. So you get a little bit extra there. Um, the, when Ganache takes Chris's chin into her, uh, toothless mouse, the close-up starts up some frames earlier in the unrated version, so you get more of that gumming. Uh, when she drives the ruler into Ganache's mouth, uh, there's an additional front view of Ganache in the unrated version, and the, the shots of Chris are a little longer in the PG-13 version. The director's cut in total runs about a half a second longer in this, so you actually get a little bit more of her and actually like it when you do see the front version and it's sticking out of her mouth it's actually kind of cool uh in the nightmare scene uh the theatrical version is a close-up side view where she spits out the bugs and that's been removed um in the scene with the nosebleed mr jacks is much more longer and explicit in the unrated version there's also an alternative material but in the unrated version it runs a little longer uh, then, so that, and that becomes a lot more bloody when you see it. Uh, then there's a, the- oh, oh, a sepquies. I don't know. After the scenes with the frightened guest, the side view, uh, starts earlier. Uh, and that's where she barfs all the, the, the stuff on top of her. Uh, when the killing of the cat, that's probably the most different one out of everything. It actually shows her like stabbing down versus it just seeing the cat and then fading away. It actually goes longer. Like I said, it's supposed to be a little bit darker there but i actually find it relatively funny it's really weird in that regard um then you've got the close-up where the ganache ghost drives the arm down christina's throat it runs a couple frames longer and then the eyeballs they are a um like uh the red in the uncut version versus the other version where they're you know specifically uh like they're darkened to make it uh, a little less uh i guess bloody if if that's what you want to say uh and then you got in uh the grave there's in the unreal version there's a close-up of her driving the spade into the corpse's mouth that you don't see in the theatrical cut and that's basically about it it's not a whole lot that's different but it's enough to be like oh okay i get it um and so with all that being said, that is it for <laughs> the rest of this 
uh, well, the end of Sam Raimi for a little while. And with that, I said we're still going to hell, but instead of necessarily going down to hell right away, why don't we meet somebody from hell? How about a boy? How about a hell boy? On an island off the coast of Scotland, something was summoned from the depths of hell. Something that would end mankind. And this uh, thing you worried about, did it show up? Oh, yes. You did. We face every threat there is, and yet you take me in. Hello, son. You made me a goddamn weapon. Where's my fucking violin? Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Out there, there's a fifth century sorceress who wants to bring down the curtain on London and the world. Great homework. Why do you fight for those who hate and fear you? You were meant for this. Out of the ashes, new Eden will emerge. Okay, I'd appreciate a prophecy with more relatable stakes. Haven't we got to be saving the world or something? Yeah, okay, come on. Let's get your game face on. Yeah, come on, let's do this. I'm a Capricorn and you're fucking nuts! So, that's right. Next time we're going to look at the 2019 version of Hellboy. So, it's going to be something interesting because I have yet to see it. And I feel like this is the perfect time to do so. That, um, you know, we can both look at it together, and if you haven't seen it, it's now available for you to watch, and it gives me a fresh look at the whole thing. So, look at that next time during this uh, episodes of Terrible Terror that are taking you down to hell. So, uh, with that being said, uh, there is one more thing that I want to say before we finish up this whole podcast and start telling you where to go find everything like that. So... For those that have been watching the 31 and 31 videos that are out there on the YouTube channel, one, I thank you. Two, you probably all watched them on the other things too. But I did make a little bit of an announcement at the end of the Pumpkinhead video that I did. Um, and basically, it was an announcement for an announcement. And then this is going to be the announcement for an announcement. And we're going to hold off. Uh, I'm going to hold off until December because it's going to start after the first of the year. Is when it's going to do. And there are a couple of changes that are going to happen. And it's nothing different. That You will still get, I will tell you right away, you're still going to get uh, two episodes a month that are movie reviews. You're just going to get something extra. 
And that's all I'll leave it as. Um, we're going to do probably once a month, maybe not exactly once a month, uh, but I'll have to figure out what it's going to be. But it's basically a little bonus for you. And I'll discuss it more as we get closer to the end of the month uh, next month when we release. Now, the one thing I will tell you is that, so that it's not a surprise, there will be a bonus episode next month uh, where it is the Christmas special Um I've decided that that's going to be a yearly thing. I'm going to do one Christmas special. And this year, uh, I am doing it with a guest. And uh, we are looking at a movie. Well, a kind of movie. Um, There are different things that I'm going to do. And it's not going to be... what, What I've decided to do with the Christmas special episodes is they're not necessarily going to be horror. It could be just a Christmas special. That's what we're looking at. And so we're going to be looking at a terrible Christmas special once again this year. So there will be, like I said, there is going to be a guest. It's already been talked about. We've already got the logistics done. So expect that to come around around Christmas. So every year I'm going to try to release it either a couple days before Christmas or on Christmas Day. Um, and uh, we'll keep that type of tradition coming, kind of like the tradition of October being four full reviews. So yes, the end of the year is going to be very busy for me like every single time we do this. But uh, I really enjoy doing that type of stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. And like I said, we'll be announcing something close to that time uh, at the same time. I don't know why we keep saying we. Maybe I'm starting to think of myself as multiple people. Who fucking knows? Anyway, so with that being said, make sure that you follow the podcast on all your you know favorite podcasting things out there. Whether it's Podcast Addict, Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, I should say. Anything like that, we're available ever. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Also, make sure that you follow the social media, facebook.com slash terribleterrorpodcast, T underscore T underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, terribleterrorpodcast, all one word, and then terribleterrorpodcast on YouTube, where you can see all the 31 and 31 reviews that were done. Uh, And with that... I'm going to wish you guys a uh, good day, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time with Hellboy. Hellboy.